0: Welcome to another Homebrews in Focus episode, and this one's going to be a different one. Instead of meeting with a developer to talk about a particular game, instead we're meeting with the Video Game Sage homebrew team, and we're going to dive into homebrew games that could be played around the holiday season. Not exclusively, but games that you think go along with Halloween. And joining me, Justin and Sean. So, Sean, you want to do a little intro about yourself, and then, Justin, you can follow? Sure.
1: So, I'm Sean. I've been on the brew team since, was it like April of 2020s when you and I got added to the mix? And I maintain the blog on, on VGS, Homebrew Draws Near, for all the new games being uh, still made and coming across the finish line. And I don't know, do you want any of my outside bio or stay video game focused?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about as much as you want, you know. <laughs> We're gonna pull up your. We're gonna pull up your LinkedIn on the side. We can like look at your.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My my nine to five is I'm an attorney for the Postal Service, so I'm getting a lot of phone calls from friends right now, (laughs) with some of the news going on and stuff I worked on too. So yeah, yeah, I've been collecting games since i was a kid and begged my mom to get stuff from the church fair and i've been into homebrew since i first moved to dc and was looking to rebuild my collection and i was googling what else should like a self-respecting nes collector have and somewhere i came across these articles of best new games for the nes and all of a sudden i was a homebrew collector and now i'm just a bit obsessive about it and i love keeping an eye on what's new and trying to maintain other threads like the homebrew almanac for what's available or what is out of print and the homebrew on the horizon for games that are available available for pre-order and in development so folks can follow the news
2: very cool Uh, i'm justin i have been a member of the vgs brew team since the inception of vgs i guess Um, i'm sort of more of the slacker i guess i would say i kind of am there and hang out but these two guys really (laughs) do most of the heavy lifting, but um I've been around the homebrew scene since about twenty thirteen. I kinda had seen uh like the 8-bit Xmas carts previously, but never really knew what they were or what they you know, I had seen it on the site a few years earlier. I'd heard about that Carnegie Mellon program they had, had where they were teaching how to make homebrews way back in the day, but I never really knew what homebrew was until about 2013 on Nintendo Age when uh kevin hanley released study hall so that was what really grabbed me and wouldn't let go i realized there was this whole world of games that were still being made for the nintendo which you know i grew up with in all of its iterations but yeah so that's how long i've been sort of in the game i collect pretty much anything nes home related and try to limit how much i branch out to other stuff because as we were talking about previously space <laughs> it becomes an issue <laughs> but uh yeah so, uh, I, I love homebrew. I even got involved in trying to produce some homebrew. I I run Neo Delfino Productions, trying to get some different homebrews out there. So that's kind of what I'm doing trying to get some of the, the Japanese brewers into the scene and trying to act as sort of a conduit for for us to get their stuff over here and vice versa. So, all
0: right. You don't know who I am already uh, as a listener or viewer. <laughs> I, <just laughs> I don't know how, how, you, I just I don't know how, how you found. Yeah, I don't know how you found. <laughs> this uh, podcast video series. But anyway, Chris, I go by Deadeye, bit uh, dot or underscore, depending on where you find me, but on Video Game Siege, I'm just happy enough to join the, the homebrew team with Justin and then with Sean. And like the other two, collector of sorts, even though I, I've said this a couple times when I've been a guest or on, I think on my own thing, I have a problem with the term collector. I don't know. It's my own hang up. feels like you put it on the shelf and then that's it and you, you never play it, but...
1: We play our games.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this topic uh, kind of intrigued me, and I was happy you two wanted to discuss it, that we could bring, you know, some other conversation to it. Halloween games, what are they? Is it a, a genre? Is it a playlist of games you play around the season? What is it? Like, if you look back to the license error. A lot have appeared on NES, and some of them were movie movie adaptations like Beetlejuice or Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, you know, and beyond that, there's Sweet Home on the Famicom, there's Splatterhouse, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, if we're starting to get into literary uh, topics, are those Halloween games? Is there such a thing? What, What do you two think?
2: I think uh Halloween games are what you make of them kind of. A lot of the ones you listed were ports of either movies or ports of arcade games that happen to have a horror type theme. Obviously an arcade game you don't drag out during the, the arcade or during the Halloween season for people to play them, but more like the horror genre and things like that that just sort of seem to coincide with the spooky nature of Halloween. So that's kind of how I look at it, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think like Halloween, Halloween's a state of mind. No, I feel like it's either, it's it's a shortcut in one of two directions. Either it's something that you can just say this word and it immediately unlocks a bunch of just assumptions about horror that you can tap into that isn't entirely necessary because you can tap into horror year round, but it sets up the ability to, I think, easily just access any number of things and really cross-pollinate across different areas of horror. But I think also, especially with some games, it also opens up a bit of a nostalgic piece about what you associate with Halloween, maybe with something like your hometown or just certain colors and a certain feel that does a little bit of the work for setting the mood that really can color your experience of the game.
0: Yeah. Well said. So I guess so now everyone kind of has a sense of what do we mean by Halloween games? What is that on the homebrew side Did they dive more into that aspect? Do we have things that are different than what was on the license era? And we kind of shared, we put together kind of a list together of, like, what games would that be? And on our list, we have some that are probably the most Halloween that you may not pull out year-round, and that's the, the Halloween scare carts. And then going beyond that, you know, we have Haunted Halloween 85, 86. And then we have things that, you know, it might be a stretch and like micromages mm-hmm. or we have some other ones that came out on the Genesis. Oh, sorry. I forgot about Spookatron, which is probably very Halloween, but you can still play year round. <laughs> but on the Genesis we had, uh, you covered it on your blog. Uh, yeah. So there's the curse of
1: Ilmore Bay, which I feel like definitely has to be Halloweeny because its original name was Halloweenville. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still love that title effect. Um, I kinda wish it was still like was like Curse of Elmore Bay, like colon Halloweenville or something. Because I yeah. I love both names. And then there was an older one and I don't know if it's the full name, is supposed to be Sasha Darko's Sacred Line or if it's just mm-hmm. Sacred Line. Sort of a visual novel, I guess in the spirit of, um, sort of like choose your own adventures. And I'm trying to remember if I had added any others. There's BioEvil which is um, Green Ghost or PSCD Games' demake of Resident Evil. He's a, a homebrewer out in Russia. And then there's a guy in Britain doing, or at least it's, I think it's Shelved at the moment, Crypt of Dracula, which is a maze dungeon crawler where you go through Dracula's castle and you pick up treasures and you fight other monsters and there's a time i guess there's a time limit where you don't entirely know how it works when dracula wakes up but if you wait too long and you're not prepared he will just very quickly chase you down and kill you And there's some great animations for him waking up where basically the game just says oh crap dracula's awake
0: you're dead so that's probably like gonna be very halloween in the aspect of like you are now being chased <laughs> like like a halloween movie
1: <laughs> yeah and like the monsters are other sort of horror ones where and it's kind of funny there's there's animations there's like these grumbling it's like oh no a frankenstein's monster and it's like this frankenstein and then various goblins and it's like okay i'm gonna throw a bunch of iron stakes at you and i think it's something like they also have a numeric treasure value so you're literally by using the spikes on monsters you're literally throwing money at them as well <laughs>
0: Well, do you, do you, do you guys have a favorite on the homebrew side of these games that you you think of? Like Halloween comes up, and you're like, oh, I gotta make sure I play this.
2: Yeah, I would say that probably as of right now, the one that most comes to mind are the haunted Halloween games. That they just sort of draw on the whole Halloween theme, obviously, but just the the mood, and the the backgrounds, the settings, how they they use the background so well and are so dark. And I think that's the one that immediately comes to mind other than the scare carts, which were obviously made specifically for the Halloween time, which is, I guess, one of the cool things about homebrew in general is it lets people make and create things and publish things that you wouldn't normally see that you'd have to have a company invest a whole bunch of money to put out there. So now you can kind of just make or do it every one. If you want to make a, a silly Halloween game and put it on a cart, I'm mean, knock yourself out. But, you know, I think there's there's that need for having a wider spread market if you're doing it in a more commercial sense.
1: That was actually my very first homebrew game ever was Haunted Halloween 85. Mm-hmm. So a really good gateway drug into the rest of the
0: scene. <laughs> it had, um, I don't know what it was, but it had a really good marketing reach in a sense to go beyond if you were just playing homebrew and maybe you are just playing indie games at the time or you're looking into, oh, let me play some NES games, or I'm looking to play something for Halloween. It came on to into people's eyes or feeds in a wide range. So And I think you could see this if you kind of dive into just on their Twitter or in social media. A lot of people talk about that game that may or may not play any other homebrews. It's, it's quite amazing how the reach it's had.
2: Yeah, they, the retrotainment guys definitely did a great job marketing, going to a bunch of different, like just a bunch of different venues. I mean, not only did they have their store, which is since closed regrettably, but they had their own storefront. They went to all the different conventions. They always had these beautiful giant eight-bit displays, so they were kind of a fixture and were sort of not only getting their own name out there, but the homebrew sort of thing out there, which was was really cool. So, I'm really psyched for their success in that, and hopefully, we'll see this soon oh yeah. <laughs> yeah i feel like i feel like that one could qualify for what we're talking about so hopefully hopefully that'll be there soon and we can play that every halloween so
1: yeah that'd be a great one and they're just like and just them, them, them being so savvy they've also really pushed where homebrew can go they've really built some of the exposure because was it the haunted halloween games that were the first homebrews to make it onto um steam and into the switch i think so
2: It was either that one, or it was one of the Mega Cat games. Because I think Mega Cat Mm -hmm. sort of built the foundation for the games to be put onto the systems, and then Mm -hmm. yeah, using a bunch of different things. I think the first one I remember is them, but I'm also not 100% sure. It might have been like one of the, like the, oh, speaking of Mega Cat, there's also a couple of games there that I guess fit the whole Halloween thing. But yeah, um, it was one or the other. But the first one I remember hearing about was Haunted Halloween.
0: You mentioned Halloween Scarecarts, and I think it's worth talking about what they are, because of the games on the list, I think that's the least likely that someone may know what they are, because they had a very limited release. Uh, You can't get them digitally. There's really not a lot of images or videos online. So what were they? What was? Let's start with uh, the first one, Haunted... uh, Sorry, Halloween uh, Scarecart twenty fifteen, and I think uh, Sean, you are now probably one of the few that have everyone in the series. I don't know if Justin, that's the same for you, but <laughs> oh, so you yeah, both twenty eighteen. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I know. At least was it? There are like three copies that
1: do technically exist of twenty eighteen. Yeah, um, I know. Bo has one. Um, like I keep a close eye. Like how are things going? How are things going? You feel like selling in your collection? Just keeping an eye out. Everything's going well. <laughs> 2015 is like it has like a bit of a story in terms of like this clown that I think is looking for revenge and you think you're going off on this platform game but it's really one screen and the clown's going from left to right I don't know if it's the second he jumps to the little platform ahead of him or he gets like a certain point on the um, horizontal axis but you do a little jump, you're excited to go to the next screen and then uh, and I think 2016 is the trick-or-treating game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah which I always get excited about because it kind of reminds me a little bit of the My Favorite Homestar Runner episode, which is the when you go trick-or-treating and you have like a choose your adventure of which candies to pick and you'll get a different response from characters based on um, uh, what you ask for. And then, what was it? What was 2017? I actually can't remember. I haven't dug that one out in a while. Uh, the Incident. <laughs> oh, right! <laughs> I think I'm too afraid to, to play into that one because the other ones, you know <laughs> when the scare's coming.
2: Yeah, it was it was pretty great. I think it kind of started as a way for Kevbot to kind of put out some some neat cartridges. He he was always a fan of making interesting, off-brand kind of things. And I think a lot of times what he would do is he would have these made, and then he'd sort of give them out as a party gift at his annual Halloween party, and then he'd make a few extra copies to be sold to cover the cost of making them. But yeah. I remember the very first one and just the exact same thing. You don't, you don't know what to expect at all and it just sort of pops up and scares the hell out of you. And then and then the next year it drags out a little bit longer. You're like, okay, it's going to come any second. It's going to come any second. And you're like, okay, this is actually a game. And then so he managed to year by year like up the ante and kind of stretch it out a little more so it keeps you guessing.
1: And I think 2018 was supposed to be um, a Halloween themed version of nothing good can come of this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember Kevin saying they were like a couple of bugs that couldn't quite work out so it didn't necessarily get finished except for three that got made just for folks to work on and, and play with. So like there are a couple of cards but I think it, it doesn't count as like a, an official release necessarily unless yeah. you have one.
2: Yeah, it kind of bums me out that that game didn't get a, a better release overall. I mean, every time we'd go to Magfest that game would be there the actual real version of nothing that yeah. could come with this and that the amount of time we would put into it and just play would was great and the NES version of it was actually pretty awesome, pretty true to the whole thing, and was actually in the, um, the one of the competitions, one of the NES competitions one year, and I know that it, a lot of times two-player games have a habit of not doing too great on it, because you'd never have two people to actually play with when pe- when the people are testing it, but I feel like it definitely deserved more than it got, so kind of sad about that.
1: Nathan's got company with multiplayer games at last, at least.
0: To <laughs> Kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent, but I'm hoping that oh, what's the name of it? It was a Kickstarter, Pi uh, Pi Packer. Mm-hmm. Yep, a way for people to play, say NES games, anything that you have a digital copy of, to set up kind of a, a virtual room where you can play the game with any of your friends. They just connect, you just share like a a web browser page, and anyone can play. Only one person needs to copy the game, so excited to see what that does for multiplayer homebrews you know because you don't necessarily have to get everyone together in one room and everyone has a lot of friends that are on the internet you know that can play
2: hopefully it makes it a lot more accessible i mean there's Mm -hmm. a lot of fantastic multiplayer homebrews out there that that's a limiting factor i mean imagine playing like micro mages by yourself it's still a great game by yourself no no doubt about it but get three more of your friends in there and you know it turns into mayhem which is fun or even
1: inside jokes that you can make together
2: and then they're also going to have the the actual home base that will you'll be able to play your carts on it too even if you don't have the rom so that'll be nice when that comes out
0: yeah so um the rarity of, of the scare car the halloween scare carts I don't know if this is the true number but these were kind of the release numbers so there might have been more released at his party but they ranged from 14 to 24 copies per year pretty pretty rare and uh kind of crazy that both of <laughs> you have a complete collection of them <laughs> i had them all at one point minus 2018 i traded them away or sold them but i kept 2017 because i'm a big fan of the incident and Couldn't give that one up. I needed to have those extra levels. (laughs) That kind of what pushed me into getting them in general, because I was like, oh, I need to play these other incident levels. They're pretty fun, too, you know? The robot's a a ghost, and all of the boxes are pumpkins, it's got some different music, and you still got that scare aspect, so when I'm playing it, I'm trying to race through it so that I can beat all the levels before I get the scare.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's another game that that I feel didn't get quite the due that it deserved is the incident. I mean, it did very well, but at the same time, you know, takes some people some time to get into puzzle games, myself included, but the, the amount of love and effort that went into that game was, was fantastic. So Mm -hmm. I know that Kevin was going to release almost like a, a greatest hits or like a fan made version, but I don't think he ever got enough levels to ever actually do it. That would have been pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I started a thread on VGS to for people to submit. So there's a level a level builder that you can download separately. It's free. You can get it right from Kahan Games' website. There's a download section. You build your own levels, and it spits out a, a code or a password, so anyone can type in that password and play your level. So I started a thread. So hopefully we can kind of amass a collection of user made levels. So that's out there for anyone to contribute or just to see. The list's not very long right now, but hopefully in the future we can get a bunch of levels and maybe that that collection is a possibility. Yeah. So w- what about Haunted Halloween 85, 86? Um, so, side-scroller, brawler, beat him up depending on your choice, uh, platformer, kind of a mix of the three. Uh, 86 more so in the platforming aspect than 85. But... Let me just pull up what they say about them. 85 from the manual. Do you have what it takes to save the town of of Possum Hollow? You'll have to try hard and fight even harder to save the town on Halloween night. Possum Hollow has been haunted by evil presence, turning even your best friends into brain-craving zombies and innocent pumpkins into death-dealing obstacles. It's up to you to find what's been wreaking havoc on your town and destroy it but it won't be easy. To get to the source of the evil, you will need to battle the haunts, climb trees, avoid jagger bushes, navigate underground caverns, and come face-to-face with an uninspected evil that you must overcome in order to climb out of your own grave. Are you rad enough to accept the ultimate challenge on Halloween night?
2: Yeah, just for, for their first game and coming onto the scene, the amount of of personality that the game has is is just mind-blowing and then again in 86 they even take it up the next notch yeah. but i feel like a lot of games even from the original nes era didn't didn't work with palettes and backgrounds the same way that these guys did just how how beautiful with the limitations they could make the backgrounds and how spooky they can make the backgrounds was so super impressive so i loved it and you can tell there's a lot of Pittsburgh injected in there because they're from the general Pittsburgh area. So a little bit of their childhood mixed into. So it's really neat to see that much personality in a game.
1: You can really tell that they had fun like putting themselves in this game. Like some stuff from the licensed era is more like, okay, we're making a game. It's, it's the game's gonna be about this. Like, okay, we're checking all the boxes, it's fine, it's great. But I think something that's also special about homebrews generally, and I think what really made Haunted Halloween suck me into homebrew is that this is clearly something that people are having fun making. They're just like really playing around with stuff. And for our first project that they're grinding out, it's knocking out of the park in some really fun, interesting ways. Like in 85, there's that moment when you're in the mall and you go behind the movie screen. And just sort of like that effect, just the colors. It's like, these are what I'm talking about when I say they're communicating just like a vibe and a mood. So from the very first starting screen, you haven't done anything and you're already getting this sort of feeling that reminds you of being, at least for me, like growing up in small town suburbs and it's Halloween, it's like you can feel like, feel the chill in the air. You can see some of the random decorations that color paths really just like giving you a certain feel of stuff. And it's just like, there's a certain silliness, like they're playing with all the tropes that you kind of can expect, but they're doing a few different things about it that really immerse you and make you want to kind of engage with it, and I'm a terrible gamer. There's no reason I should be a game collector. I'm I'm terrible at all these games that I play, and yet it's just the right mix of I'm engaged enough in this that I want to keep pulling it out to try and get a little bit further. And like you said, 86 kind of takes everything right about 85 and just layers more onto it, that there's an additional character with a life bar that you can switch between, especially if you're a crappy gamer like me and you need a little extra life to get further. (laughs) Um, And the fact that you can customize when you get extra abilities on additional levels, yeah. um And knowing me, I'm probably making the wrong decisions about when to add those abilities. But it's a nice little simple touch to customize how you progress in the game.
0: What do you, what do you pick? What's your first? So when I'm playing eighty six, my first choice for the your next power up is double jump. I gotta have double jump. Is you saying you make poor choices? <laughs> Which one do you choose?
1: Oh, geez, I'm trying to remember what are the what are the options? Am I trying to go to the
0: yeah, so I got them on here. Punch, you can get a, you know, your moveset base one is punch and kick. And you could do a super uppercut or bicycle kick, depending if you are Donnie or Tammy. Then you can do a forward dash, charge upward attack, dodge, double jump, shockwave. These are ones you can just do crouch, platform hop, hoist throw. So double jump, shockwave, dodge, charge attack, forward dash.
1: I'm probably going with either the super uppercut or the platform hop because I don't trust my jumping abilities. Like, I'm so trained to assume games are going to have to be pixel perfect about the jumps that I'm like, whatever flexibility I can get that I can't mess this up, let's like ease that burden on myself. And then I'll get the other stuff that are the necessary qualities later.
2: <laughs> yeah, I definitely got to go with double jump. I'm that guy in, in games where if I have a double jump ability, I'm like double jumping everywhere for no reason. I just like. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to be airborne. I think it goes back to like, like wall hopping with Chun-Li and stuff like back mm-hmm. in Street Fighter times. I just always like to be up in the air as much as I can. Pure chaos.
0: Well, I have it somewhere between you two. I pick double jump because I'm like, well, there's one, there's going to be things that I can get to then extra lives, power ups. And then if I fall down a pit, I can save myself. Or I think one thing I struggle with in games is, if so uh, developer makes a very long jump and you have to like jump right at the edge, you have to get to the very edge, I always jump too early. I can't I can't get to that very edge. So then I'm going down the pit. Double jump saves me.
1: <laughs> I'm also afraid of going too far and going off the end because yeah the second game I ever had in life as like a kid um, was Bart versus the world, mm. and then the jumps were so slippery that I frequently would jump perfectly and I would slide off the far end of the
2: platform. <laughs> yeah, I think I was traumatized by Adventure Island when you have like the skateboard and you're trying to jump on clouds and stuff like that. Like it's constantly moving, or like I have to do this jump perfectly, or I'm going to lose my skateboard. Yeah, <laughs> same same thing.
0: <laughs> so, and like you were saying, they used a bunch of stuff from Pittsburgh and around there. The mall, I believe, is modeled after their mall. Uh, The street that's called out was a street they grew up or, or somewhere around them. And they kind of brought more of that into the sequel. And the sequel kind of is different in a sense. So 85, you start off at the school, and you kind of go around the surrounding town, into the woods, into the cornfield. And then 86 starts... And it's on Halloween night again. It's kind of seeing where you're going to go with uh, the anniversary if the same thing's going to happen. And it does. The town is turned into zombies and and death-dealing pumpkins. But then you have this uh, specter or ghoul come, and you have to collect these series of maps, and you're going down into um, the caverns, into the sewers and everything. And so as we keep talking about this, Let's see, Possum Hollow, 1986, everything seemed to be back to normal after last year's terrifying events. No one talked about what happened in 85, but it's on everyone's mind. As the cold winds swept back through the small town, Halloween was approaching. Evil was stirring in the depths below the streets and homes of the town. On Halloween, it was about to service. It would be a night of tricks, not treats, for Possum Hollow kids and their residents. I think it like as you're kind of both of you kind of alluded to, it's it's rare for a sequel of a game to expand upon, do something different, and maybe even surpass what 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 they did in the first one. And eighty six to me, they kind of expanded so much on it. They improved all the graphics, all those backgrounds. And that's that's quite hard, I think, to do that eerie feeling in, in a limited palette set. You know, when you might not have at your fingertips all of those dark settings you could do but tons of more movesets more bosses and kind of an expand upon story that you don't necessarily just have to read just the manual to get really really great game
2: yeah i definitely agree i mean from a playability and freedom to kind of do what you want to do standpoint i think that the second one is has all that but I, I for some reason just the first game just the the atmosphere and the backgrounds and the locations for the first game i, I still overall enjoy more maybe that was just because it was coming at it with a fresh set of eyes have having, having not seen it before but from a playability standpoint the the second game is definitely superior i think
1: Now they joke about maybe doing a haunted halloween 87 when full quiet's done um which may just be them like saying stuff because that's what they've done before but if they ever do like i'm sure it'll be amazing because like you said they they go out to the conventions they're really approachable fun guys when i was at um uh portland retro gaming in uh 2018 like i found myself like frequently circling back where i was almost, almost apologizing be like okay i don't want to feel like i'm the creepy guy that's just constantly coming back to you but like i feel like i've done everything i want to do and like it's some of the best conversation i'm having so um, like you know, they love hearing about their game. I feel like they really listen and think what of what we've been told makes sense that maybe we can incorporate into the next anything that we do.
2: Yeah, they're great guys. Every time I see them at conventions, I have a, a great time with them and they're, like you said, very approachable, love to talk about what they're doing and what's going on in the scene. Always down to to support others too. So it's it's great that they're there and they're great that they continue to be there and which is why no matter how long full quiet takes to come out I will wait patiently cuz I know that the product they're going to deliver is going to be amazing so
0: mm-hmm. I regret I, I missed out on that Kickstarter for it so that I can get what, what Justin you're just showing that uh, beta beta tester version <laughs> I did yeah. back it on their um that a post Kickstarter thing so I, I was able to back it there but I ah, Regret not having that, uh, being able to play it and have that yellow cartridge.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, regrettably, I've only played into it about an hour. I've been so busy. I've, I've had it for a while now. I was actually going to play through it and do like a, a video for them to sort of play test it, but I've been so busy, I haven't really had a chance to do it. But from the the parts that I have played, are, are fantastic. So it's it's great. Talk about moodiness and scene and all the things they do so well in the haunted halloween games it's there in droves so it's very cool
0: Mm -hmm. it's a really available game you can get it off their website in cart only cib you can get it for nes or famicom versions you can get it on steam you can get it on switch ps4 xbox really available and i think the Steam and Switch Xbox PS4 have achievements as well if, if that's her thing.
2: Definitely achievements have ruined gaming for me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'll still buy like Switch versions of games or other games, but the achievements I, I'm like I have to have a PS4 PS5 copy or something because I got to get those achievements.
0: Oh, they've ruined it because you feel compelled to to complete the
2: list. Yeah, I mean, not, I don't necessarily platinum everything I play, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it just, I don't know, seeing those little dings makes me feel happy. Whatever that <laughs> gambling, push the lever, get a reward thing that goes on in my head, it just sort of it's perfect for me to drag me in, so.
1: Sounds like something you should make for the next combo. It's just about like chasing achievements.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what's great about so many of uh K-Han's games is that they actually have, you know, achievements built into them. So that's exactly the same thing with a uh, study hall study hall was the first to my knowledge homebrew that had achievements and that's one thing again that sucked me in it's so so silly and so simple but it's just one of those things that makes you try and do different things just to get the achievements
0: i think those those lists of achievements are all in the realm of makes sense but on some modern games that i play sometimes the trophies achievements and everything is too long was recently playing uh, the new Paper Mario.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I forgot the name of it.
2: Or, oh, wait, it's not Origami King. That's one yeah. I keep seeing. For, is, it, is it that one? Oh, see, I yeah, keep seeing it for sale. But yeah. yeah.
0: Great game. I really liked it. But the amount of collectibles in, in the game that you get <laughs> was crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't know. It, it's nice that they exist, and I like that they're there. But I, th- I feel like a little bit of something has been lost with that, too. Because I remember... Back in the day, like Star Fox sixty four playing it like over and over, trying to get all the best scores so I could have all the coolest things, like the tank and the little mm-hmm. dude running around with multiplayer. Um, same thing with 007, Goldeneye, like you're just trying to unlock all this stuff and there were no achievements, there were no trophies to drive you to do that, but you wanted to do it. Now it's like, well, if I'm not gonna get a trophy for that, why why would I why would I do that? Mm-hmm i need <laughs> what, you just play the regular game Ugh. no no it's unacceptable i need i need little fake digital things to make <laughs> me feel better about myself
0: <laughs> anything anything else about uh haunted halloween eighty five, eighty six? 86
2: go buy them go buy
0: them yeah.
2: <laughs> so so what
0: about spookatron both of you uh have you ever played spookatron
1: Yes, I'm terrible at it. I was actually telling Bo like a week or so ago that, um, oh yeah, I'm digging it out, trying to play with it. And he's like, I don't remember how far I've gotten. It's been so long since I've played. And I'm like, I got to level 10. He's like, great job, 90 more to go. I'm like, I forgot there was that many.
2: Yeah, no, Spookatron, I remember when, when Bo was working on it way back when, and when he finally was able to release it and just how proud he was of it and how he would go around with his little red space helmet looking television because i mean a part of the part of the i won't say the gimmick but part of the thing with it is that you could use two controllers or use a virtual boy controller with it to sort of give you that you know run and gun smash tv type experience so he had a, a little spaceman like round t- crt television that had a little red visor so you could either play it in normal color mode or you could flip it down and play virtual boy red and black mode which was Kind of funny, but um you could definitely tell he put a lot, <laughs> a lot into that game, and the result is great. I mean, I'm terrible at it too, but it's definitely fun.
0: I don't feel bad then that uh, I think the the highest level I've gone to right now is 30, and that's after a lot of play. And <laughs> so, kind of back up a little bit. uh It's I wouldn't say it's a port, but it's uh, heavily inspired by Robotron, the arcade game. Where you, it's an arcade, a single-screen game divided into levels, and your mission is to kind of survive and defeat all the enemies on screen. You, uh, you get two joysticks, and for the NES, you can do two controllers, like Justin was saying, or a Super Nintendo controller. So you use a D-pad and the four face buttons, or a Virtual Boy with a. You have to convert it to NES uh, cord and, and plug in, and everything is halloween themed in a sense you're this astronaut but everything on screen is other well, they named vampires and ghosts and everything and you have to learn their patterns and kind of keep progressing and this is a, a game i have on my list to kind of foreshadow a little bit i guess but it, it, i haven't scheduled to do an episode on this with Bo, but i can't beat the game and it's driving me <laughs> nuts because Kind of the purpose of, of uh, the Homebrews and Focus series is to showcase the whole game and to talk with the developer. And I don't know what I'm gonna do. Am I? Is this gonna be a video two hour video of me just dying and dying and dying? Or yeah, do I quick, have to so in
1: the controller at the screen?
0: Uh, there you go. Or do I have to become like the expert in Spookatron and we'll see this episode in five years? Like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or just or just take the uh the really low road and just use game Genie or something have somebody make oh, you some codes for it yeah
1: <laughs> or just make bow do it
2: there yeah. you go Bo would be like i can't play my own game sorry you <laughs> <laughs> might say that <laughs> yeah. it, it could be
0: i, I don't know like <laughs> not everyone is a expert on their own game sometimes they increase the difficulty so much you know you can't do it i, don't I hope i, I don't i'm thinking maybe he can but i don't know <laughs> Great game, I love it. I just wish I could beat it. It's kind of kind of drive me crazy.
2: Again, another game with a level editor. You should just uh, get the version mm. where you have the level editor. Just make mm-hmm. a bunch of easy, make make yourself a hundred easy levels and just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Play. Look at me, I'm beating the game. <laughs> yeah, look how good I am. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: talked about the incident not too long ago, and th- that had kind of a crowdsourced in a way. Building all the levels for the game that kind of got incorporated into it, and Spookatron did something similar in its uh, Kickstarter campaign. It gave some of the people the opportunity to kind of design levels, and they got incorporated in the game. And that's that's a really interesting and engaging aspect. I kind of wish more more would do that. Sometimes they don't lend themselves to it, but in these arcade style games, very possible. Yeah, you want to be
1: careful about which games do lend themselves well to it because we're like spookatron or incident that certainly makes sense but then you have like maybe not in the game itself but like what, what it will look like and i think we all know about a certain other company for genesis games that had uh the gems and how you can have input and what the game the game would look like and i think those people weren't the most happy
0: and we Papri- about paprium oh, paprium paprium yeah oh. yeah did that open it up to for people designing their own levels yeah, the reason it was a beat-em-up was because that's
1: what the people were investing for in their gems. That was the poll in terms oh, okay. of the game they wanted to make, regardless of whether or not the development team had the confidence to make a beat-em-up. Wow. Oh. <laughs> and I think the another one, Project N was the next game they were going to make. I think yeah. it was supposed to be sort of an action RPG.
0: Uh, I wish I wish Spookatron got more, more word out there or more talked about or it's kind of falls into that. The same thing with the incident, a great game that I don't know, didn't reach the, as large of an audience. I think it should have, and that could be a combination of things, but I think you need to play it to really engage with it to see like, Oh, this is really fun. I should play it. Even if you watch videos of it, I don't think you get the sense. And I think those two games are kind of in the same category. Unfortunately.
2: I'd agree. It's, it's that, old-fashioned arcade, like early bullet hell type thing where if that's not what you're into, it's kind of hard for you to pick it up. Same thing with with uh, the incident. I mean, if you're not a big puzzle fan, then it's really hard for you to put in the time and do it. Or if you don't have the Sokoban nostalgia or the Robotron nostalgia and you're, you're showing it to the wrong people, it sort of makes it hard to adopt it and give it time that it deserves.
1: Yeah, it's a great game because it really, it's addictive because it's a very good example of less being more, but I can see how something like that can be hard to advertise and promote when you have other sexy things about like, I'm pushing the limitations of this, I'm accomplishing this thing that's never been done before, but it's more like, I'm doing something old school really well, Yeah, and that's a bit hard to promote as well alongside other things. Although, I still love that novelty of doing either the sideways NES controllers or Mm -hmm the virtual boy into into an nes still on the prowl for one of those because i am not technologically skilled enough to trust my abilities to open it up and solder i have the videos i have the thing and i just don't have the courage to to crack any of them open and do it be like okay great i just destroyed two controllers because i have no (laughs) idea what i'm doing
0: you send it to me i by my i'm not a very skilled with a soldering iron but i did i did do it So, if you're looking for someone to do it, yeah, sure. I'll even send you like my soldering kit because
1: I'm (laughs) sure as heck not using it. It'll add to your materials to play with stuff. Absolutely.
0: No, I got all the soldering iron, sirening, uh, solder and solder. Just send it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll modify it.
1: (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Feels being made.
0: (laughs) But talking about like, it did. You know, even though if you're like, oh, it's this arcade guy, it did push boundaries because, one, you had all of these options for control styles. Virtual Boy controller was never used on any other game. Super Nintendo controller used on very few uh, homebrews. And very few did two controllers in general. But then there's so much on the screen, so much moving things. And that is crazy with very little slowdown. Like some uh uh shooters on the NES really suffered with the amount on screen and somehow Bo was able to accomplish this.
2: Yeah, it's really impressive. And it and it feels it feels like a Robotron type game, you know what I mean? Like where you're constantly frantically trying to figure out what's gonna happen and how to get away and how to save people. So it, it does that great within the limitations of the system. So
1: and even just the sound that's ingrained into it where it, yeah. it has that old kind of Atari feel. You have that, that laughing skeleton ghost every time you die. Um, <laughs> sometimes if I'm... Oftentimes I'm, I'm bad at these, some of these levels because I'm not paying attention to the enemy that I, I'm supposed to make. I'm focusing down the lower right corner, but really what's going on is happening in the top. And I know I messed up because then I don't hear the
0: boo!
1: I'm like, oh, I gotta get out of whatever's line of sight. I'm
0: I'm dead. Unforced error. That's That's so true. You end up you end up dying because you always know why when you look at that. It's like, oh, my own, I was looking somewhere else, my own inability to get out of the way. Like, very few times are you starting off in an unwinnable position. There's, there's always a way. And that's kind of the aspect of it because you, when you start it, you get so little time to, you get like uh, one or two seconds, kind of look pan the screen and be like, okay, I need to get here. I need to move there. And luckily when you when you lose a life, You kind of start the level where you left off. Like you killed five enemies, you start it like there. Like there's no continues though. And (laughs) but you get lives back with points. So that would be a nice
1: balance out of that.
0: I was watching Default Gen's review on it recently, and I did not realize that you could pick up some of the things on screen for points. And You're just None. killing
2: everything. You're like dying. Yeah,
0: I'm <laughs> avoiding. You're, you're shooting the hostages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... I'm, I'm avoiding touching anything on screen, killing everything, <laughs> yeah. losing all those points on screen. And <laughs> maybe I'll go back and play now and hopefully I can get a little bit longer into the game. <laughs> points to Genocide run. run.
2: Yeah. Sprite <laughs> probably an Easter egg in there somewhere. Like psychopathic <laughs> homicide <maniac>. Like <laughs> Hey, <laughs> murder- maybe that.
0: Maybe that's like it's one achievement that Bo has been keeping a secret. If you beat the game without rescuing any hostages, you get an achievement.
1: The, anti- the anti-hero. Award.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else about Tukatron, or do you want to move on to uh micromages? Buy it. Buy I... yeah. <laughs> it. Is, is that gonna be uh the the closing to every game? Buy yeah. it. <laughs> buy it, buy it. Pretty much. It is still available. You can get it off of Soul Goose Productions' website. I think that's the only way to get it. I don't think it's up on the 6502 Collective, so Bo is part of the 6502 Collective, but this is through his website of uh, Spookadon, Spook? Soul Goose Productions, and the game is Spookotron. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, a couple times, uh, I'll probably leave that in for, for people to laugh at me, but, you know...
1: It's just it's a very scary game, and you know it rattles you. I get it.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm
2: just thinking a... about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, it is like um an- anxiety because of that. You start, you get like that second or two, and like I'm, it's gonna start, and I gotta move out of the way. So in that aspect, there is, I wouldn't say scary, but there there is this anxiety fright aspect of it that I gotta react really fast. So, you know, I think that. Besides its theming, that kind of puts it really into the Halloween aspect. That, like you were saying, we did, did we do this talk about this before we opened about the crypt game where uh, at a certain point um, Dracula just comes alive and starts going after you.
1: <laughs> yeah, he just like chases you, and it's sort of a uh, I forget how qu- basically he moves so quickly that the second he's awake, if you're not if you're not prepared to fight him, the minute he wakes up, you are dead. And it's just a question of how quickly. And there's some other game that's kind of like that, like um, Friday the Thirteenth. That one too. But I'm thinking it's like a PS1 game that I always try to find. I think it was like Hell Knight, where there's like a monster that if you if you walk into a certain area where he is, like you are dead. You are like you may not see him right away, but you are dead because he's chasing you. Um, And the only way to know it is that as long as you haven't killed off your companion character, is going to be like I have a bad feeling. I just don't want to go down that hallway. And if you ignore them, you're dead. (laughs)
2: what do you know you're you're just the backup you're the hired help
1: (laughs) but i remember uh the designer matt mateus i think is what he goes by on twitter and he has some great animations of like it is now midnight dracula has a woken there's like this giant like hand that just comes out of this coffin and you're just moving and so the kind of interesting thing about it is every time you move to a different level it will give you the map of the level like it's this tiny little thing and the room is like Like You have to basically take a picture of the map to have it be of any use to you because it's like this huge place and different colors like green. There's some treasure here, monster here, stairs here. You're supposed to memorize it so you can try to maximize however much you're going to get out of it before time is up. But I love looking at his. um, And so since he's kind of shelved it, if you go on the Crypt of Dracula dedicated Twitter. It's really just like him doing other kind of weird Halloween trolling about other things in the news because <laughs> he loves to comment on British politics.
0: <laughs> I guess since we talked about, it, let's just keep going about the Crypto Dracula. Even though this is a still in development game, let's kind of keep going. It's interesting. It's kind of a first person dungeon crawler, right? You get a mm-hmm. screen by screen, and you're you are attacking uh, there. You're not. It's not like an RPG where you're all of a sudden swirling off to some other bat- battlefield. You're going going at it. So is, is there more to it, Sean, that, that they've released information about? So I think most of what
1: you can glean from it is what you'll see in some of the various gameplay videos that he'll share of snippets. Like in the corner, like it is first person. But in the corner, you have a view of the protagonist kind of just like looking sort of shifty-eyed of like, I'm scared. He's got this sort of like really cool like quaffed, spiky hair in front. He'll check his watch. You see how much treasure and silver spikes he has. And so you you might bump into a monster and he'll say what it is. And it's not like there's some kind of a turn-based battle. It's more like, oh, a Frankenstein's monster is in front of you. It will take 20 spikes to kill him. Want to do it? I don't know what happens if you say no or if you don't have enough spikes because in every gameplay video you have like several hundred of them. So it's more just like, okay, you've now wasted all these spikes on this monster on your way forward. And so you're going around. Sometimes you find treasure and it's just a question of, what your strategy is to cover as much of the floor to get what you want to get to the stairs to the next level down as you inch your way closer to Dracula himself. And after that, it's all mood, sort of the the walls get a little eerier and more, I guess, creepy and rotten and purple as you sort of delve a bit deeper. And so the monsters are kind of creepy, but sort of also can't be funny in a very, what's that Genesis Halloween game where you're the kid that, uh, that haunts the poltergeist just sort of like a fun cartoony monsters, and just sort of this creepy music that, if you're like alone and you're playing in the dark, you're sort of really feeling like I feel like I'm six years old and I'm playing something I'm not supposed to because there's just a bit of an eerie thing of someone's gonna tap me on the shoulder and I'm gonna flip out. Just like really well made, and I'm, I'm excited to see when it kind of goes back into production. But I think what you see on his Twitter is pretty much a good sense of what the game looks like and mm-hmm. what most of it, how how most of it plays. I think it's more just polishing some assets and getting it across the finish line i don't know what, what percentage of it is done necessarily but
0: i feel like a lot of the, the foundation is there it's more just a matter of populating it so is the protagonist looking at his watch a uh, thing is that is that the dev foreshadowing slash trolling you about the dracula coming out is it not communicated to you that like at at midnight Dracula is gonna pop out <laughs> Something like that. I don't know what the t- like what the timing of it is if it's more like it's on the hour or every fifteen
1: minutes, like you'll pull out like the watch on the chain to really get mm-hmm. that whole feel. And it'll just sort of be like, it is now this much time, X amount is left until Dracula wakes up. I think or yeah, maybe it's a t- way to troll you to just be like, You're gonna die, you're wasting your time on this level, like get yourself in gear.
0: So not much more to say about it, because it's still in development, but exciting nonetheless and We'll see where it goes from there.
1: And he's got a website you can go on his mailing list. I don't think he sends out updates via email, but I think it's like Pixel Pusher or something. Yep. Yeah, it's cool stuff to look at as you wait for news. Otherwise, he does a lot of other videos about um, homebrew going on in the Sega scene. A lot of Master System, some Genesis, interesting graphical stuff going on with this, the Sega CD and 32X, and even Saturn sometimes.
0: So let's, let's move on, and this one's a big one micro mages and it kind of falls into that that thing and i'm kind of open with like is it really a halloween game and it's your mages and you're in this tower there's a lot of ghosts and ghouls and everything but i think at this time this is the largest selling homebrew on kickstarter and it kind of made a big splash into the scene and sold way more than the devs expected but rightly it's a great game and glad I made this outreach it did, but it's a four player game. You can play as one. You're these like small little sprites on the screen, four scrolling vertically, and you're kind of going up this tower and then fighting bosses along the way. Did uh did both of you back the game or did you uh play it after the Kickstarter? Backed
2: it and played it, yep.
1: Yep, same. I was I was that was a game I was happy to go the extra and go. Limited edition. Like I'm kicking myself for not doing that for full quiet because I think that was <laughs> so early in my homebrew thing. I'm like, I don't have a whole lot of like money and I'm dipping my toe in this. I'll just I'll just go for the regular CIB and then you're like, oh, I should have gone all out.
2: Yeah, we actually were able to get a little piece of it at a magfest. I forget what year it was, 17 or 18. Somebody brought like a nondescript cart with this game on it. They're like, I have this super cool game you guys want to see, and we're all like. Sure. <laughs> We're in a trench coat. Hey, you want
1: to play a yeah, game?
2: Exactly. So even back then it was it was amazing. So yeah, played it, played it back then. And as soon as the Kickstarter came up, I was like, yep, this is this is one to definitely. Well, I mean it back pretty much everything, but this is definitely one to back. So
1: anytime you see Morph Cat, that's more just like jump on it sooner rather than later.
2: But they still won't give a super bat puncher, those
1: bastards. <laughs> And then there's the tease for the the super super bad puncher 16 bit thing that they put on their
0: Discord. <laughs> You're know, like, oh, this is the, no, this is not a game where we're just testing. We're like, yep, nope, we're expecting this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this belongs to us now.
0: <laughs> uh, the super bad puncher that was my introduction to Morphcat after playing it, great. And I'm like, on board. As soon as they they talk about their next game, I'm gonna get it. And they had micro Mages. Like a little brief on their website because they didn't have a real social media presence at the time. It was, or, you know, rather Twitter or anything like that, or Instagram. It was really their website and then the threads that were shared on Nintendo Age and kind of got lucky. Like, I guess, Sean, I don't know if uh, Justin, you backed the same, but I was able to get the limited edition tier, which didn't know it was going to sell that well. So, in the grand schemes of percentage to backers, that's, I don't know how many people have. You know, 100 ended up with the limited edition, but I'm guessing it's in the amount of sales, it's quite rare to get. It came with a lot of goodies in it. You got a canvas bag that was detailed. You got a slip cover for the cartridge, so it has like a black box feel. Black cart. I think that was really it. Oh, magnets too. Uh, yeah, poster. Stickers, magnets, poster, yeah. Little extras. I think they gave it extra. I don't think all those things were even said in... In there, they kind of threw in some extra things uh, above what was listed on the tier.
1: Surprise. (laughs) I think I first learned about it, not even from, I think there there was a bit of a tease on their website, but I think I first learned about it when, so Doug Fraker has his blog, and it was, I think, whenever he posted it in like 2017 or something, it was homebrews that are out there and the ones that are on their way that look good, and it was by developer. So you had Morphcat and it was mostly about Super Bad Puncher. And then it was there's this other thing that they've been teasing, and like I don't know what it's called yet. They haven't really put out a lot of information, but here's a screenshot. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> it's like I will be watching for that.
0: But what makes this a favorite of yours? What is it about the game?
2: Even not taking into consideration the NROM limitations, which is its own completely magical, weird, evil voodoo thing that they did, but just the amount of hectic fun like they made the characters small intentionally so they could fit more into the game but the amount of personality and the amount of character that those little tiny dinky little sprites have is just over the top and it's it's sort of a frantic kind of game where the bottom is sort of coming up on the screen and you have to keep up or you'll die so you'll sort of bounce between helping out your buddies to help them get up or you'll slam them down so you can get to the treasure chest first so like there's a lot of dynamics in working together. And I think one of the best decisions they made is letting characters still be of use after you die and also allowing you to, to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think those two things make it to where you don't have anybody who's ever completely sitting there feeling bummed out that they're dead on the level. They're able to still help. They're able to come back into the game. They're able to come back and save their buddies. So I think that right there was probably one of the best decisions they made to keep everybody constantly engaged when they're playing.
1: It's that couch co-op factor where, like, if you're to play by yourself, it's a solid game. You're having a good time. But it's the fact that it's also built for just this experience of I'm with three other people and we're drinking and we're just shouting at each other. And I don't even care if we get to the first boss or not or if we're looping the game or <laughs> wherever we are. We're just having a, a huge time just like, messing with each other. It's it's something that it's almost like the game itself makes itself irrelevant with how fun it is, because it's more about like the people that you can be with and have this sort of ridiculous feel with it.
2: And then pile on top of that, what they accomplished with what, with such huge restrictions, they sort of made it a point to do what they could with, you know, one of the most basic mappers or not even really a mapper, but you know, NROM. they're like, what can we do with this? And they made a game that I think would contend with anything from the licensed era, even, you know, late stuff. They just made this amazing game. That's, so rich in color and and graphics and character with the most basic mapper from way back at the dawn of the system
1: it's such a mic drop moment because you see with a lot of other kickstarter updates for games updates where they say we wanted to do all of these things but we had to cut stuff out in order to fit it all in and here's this video that says so we decided to take the most possible restrictions and we were able to accomplish all of this and fit it in kind of nicely
2: and then even said, "This is how we did it." Like they they made multiple multiple videos and tutorials saying, "This is how we did it. This is how this works. This is what we did." So, I mean, that's super impressive too for them to take the time and just show how they were able to do it, and not even in like a, a pompous kind of way, just in a, "This is what we did. This is really cool. Learn from this if you want to." So, yeah, was- passing the ladder down. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah that that video was really informative. Um, even even for people who don't program. Um, like myself, and I like, watch a video, like, oh, that's what a MetaTile is. It was, you know, a, a way to communicate what they did to to the average person to really understand the limitations of the NES, what, how they overcame certain things with NROM So, it, they didn't have to do that. And, really great. The one thing I find so interesting, and is they took... Probably a genre of of type of game that people generally dislike forced scrolling and made that somehow into a great game.
1: <laughs> Add all the extra challenges onto themselves. Let's take like the like the things that everybody hates about video games, put them
2: on one thing and, and make it palatable. <laughs> challenges within challenges within challenges.
0: Yeah. They're like, we'll use really small sprites. Um, very hard to communicate uh, expressions or, or character in. We'll use four scrolling. We'll do four, four players. <laughs> and, so, and it all paid off. And, it and you're, you're going to
2: love it. You're going to
0: love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the coming back after death, that's really, really cool. And that couch co-op feel because everyone could be at a different skill level and still contribute... Even if you don't get resurrected, you can still help out. You can like unlock certain areas or or things freeze like enemies. That. Yeah, and it has a password system in that in the game, so very approachable in that aspect. You can come back to the game later, or you can keep playing back from where you are. And then, if you want that extra challenge, uh, there's a hell mode. Uh, I think you have to beat the game first to unlock it, <laughs> which makes everything much harder.
2: Yeah, it's actually really cool because I think in the the more advanced mode, the level layouts are actually different. It's not just Oh, the enemies are harder. Oh, the screen moves faster. They actually made all new layouts for the levels and made them more difficult. So that was a, a, a wonderful added bonus.
1: And just the boss fights have a nice rhythm to them where if you do actually pay attention or I guess sort of muscle your way through it just because you sacrifice your buddies. And you're like, okay, you're dead and you're now out of my way. I can actually take this seriously. Those are just also fun, like a very different sort of pivot for the game. And they're also just these giant, gorgeous sort of enemies, whereas everything is like very small as you're working your way up. So it's a great way to seamlessly kind of expand what the game is and can look like, but not feel like it's just sort of globbing on different things onto,
0: onto one onto one larger piece. they are able in, in the when you switch between each level in the tower, they're able to give each of them in this limitation a real different feel for each level. It wasn't just like a palette change, you know? They introduced new obstacles or or different theming in it, and it was really impressive, because a lot of times for Enron, we kind of feel like it's just a palette change, and that's really the different world aspect, but they could do it. They pulled it off.
2: Yeah, every little thing, too, like watching the acid where you could fall into like little <laughs> bubbles on the ass like everything is just so polished and so amazing.
0: It was really cool to um go to Magfest a couple years ago and able to play it uh for player. I didn't get that experience back home when I received it, but it was great great in the aspect so
2: Was it on the autograph couch? Did we had we, had we... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh
0: the one MagFest I was able to attend with both of you, and you found the autographed couch. First MagFest I went to.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah, we had to, we had to steal. We found it on uh, Facebook Marketplace the first year we had it. We left it there for them to store, and then we had to go steal it from a panel. Like we were just wandering around trying to figure out where it went. Kind of gave up, and then saw that they had a, a, a stage where they were doing a bunch of panels, and we we're like, "That's our couch." And, and luckily they had attached wheels to it so they could move it around easier. So it was like, you know, autograph couch 2.0. It was amazing. We could like roll it across. <laughs> the, so we had to like strong arm people into the, giving us the couch back. But speaking of MagFest, you guys going to be there this year, maybe?
1: Probably. I feel like I am I live close enough that it's an expensive Uber ride to get there. So it probably will pop in at some point. But. I definitely want to go,
0: I'm on the fence right now. I'll see how it goes. you know I'm not as close as sean, but it's it's driving you know i don't I don't need to take a plane you know it's a four or four hour drive five hour drive something like that
2: it's you about know? the same It's about the same for me where I am now, but i already got my already got my tickets and we'll see what it's like. I'm actually kind of really interested to see how it how it is I'm interested to see or think about if I'm going to do another homebrew area or not. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. I at least have tickets. We'll see how everything sort of pans out with the (laughs) pandemic.
1: Should be fun. It's always interesting things that go there. Like, um, I remember I went during like my lunch break at work once (laughs) because I wanted to try and find find Rachel (laughs) because she, she was bringing her, her fortune teller game and I really want to get a copy and I like just missed out on getting them. And she's like, I didn't know there'd be so much demand. I'll make more if you don't mind helping me. And it ended up being a cartridge-making party in the crafts room.
2: <laughs> yep, I still have that picture of all of us with our arts and crafts cartridges, yep.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to come to, if I don't make it to this one, the next one. It was a blast, and my favorite aspect of it and why I went was uh, the homebrew uh, corner section that, uh, Justin, you, you ran. Got to meet developers or enthusiast players and got to check out New games that are in development because somehow you you were able to source all of them from everyone and say hey let me showcase your game.
2: <laughs> yeah, we actually had a pretty decent turnout that year overall. I think that's even the one we had the version the the demo version of Heradius and mm-hmm. RC Two mm-hmm. Rally. So we actually had those there, and we had a just a, a lot of the brewers themselves were there that year, which was nice.
1: Yeah, you've introduced me to a number of games. I think by when I come to the homebrew section, like the I'm gonna get it wrong. The onigiri, Famicom game oh. where you're catching the sushi.
2: Yep, yep, yep. I'm still trying to get him to let me to release that one. So that's that's one on the radar. So he also has this other game that he crowdsourced, crowdfunded through a, a Japanese site. That one's coming out sometime. I don't know when, but that was a, a pain in the butt to back. But he has that one coming out. It's sort of a multiplayer, once again scrolling but horizontal instead of vertical kind of game. Um, there's a lot of it, a lot about it on a twitter but it's I'm, I'm waiting for that to come out to see what he does because that the the um, onigiri game was his first game so it was pretty impressive considering
0: oh yeah mm-hmm. plays great what, what's the name of the, the other game that's in development
2: uh let me look it up real quick uh, I'll, I'll probably completely butcher and mispronounce it let me just <laughs> i'm gonna so do some the same thing like i know i got a written
1: down to right my back a game i think it's like a chicken scratch won't, won't really help something uh,
2: Chompy or something? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Let me just go on Twitter and look. Show menu party. Yeah, that one. That sounds sort of like it. The
0: like, I was all on board for Neil Delfino to bring it over, but then he butchered the pronunciation <laughs> of the name.
1: How dare you, sir?
2: <laughs> yep, yep. Don't don't put that in. Don't put that in.
1: Don't know. <laughs> I'll find it. It's okay. Hopefully. I can take the blood. I pron- I mispronounced the name. I just went. Yeah, that sounds about right.
2: Yeah, 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 it's good. I just went along with it. It's not my you fault. You can make it. You just
1: can't sell to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. You guys can keep talking. I'm going to find this. Oh, wait. no, oh, here we go. There's these three ladies who represent the three characters in the game. I'm not sure if they're like Japanese idols or, or what they are, but they're in the game and there's three actual real life counterparts to the characters in the game. And they have tons of pictures on his, uh, His Twitter about them and what they're doing and all that sort of stuff. The the Google Translate's very nice, but sometimes it doesn't completely convey everything.
0: That is such a it makes it so easy now. I don't I don't say we rely on, but like there would be it would be very hard I think for me or probably for us to kind of know what's going on in Japanese homebrew without one Twitter and then two Google Translate on that's just built into the the posts.
2: Yeah, there is absolutely no way that I'd be able to to do it. So it's it's awesome that it's there and it works so well for the most part. So I don't know. I'll get back to you with what it is. I'll send you a link, but it's it's around here somewhere.
0: Okay, so let's um go back to micromages for a second. So if there's anything else we have to wrap up. So any- buy it. anything Yeah, buy it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, <laughs> <laughs> and not not no, not not. not.
0: <laughs> um, so I think, like you, Justin, like I'm interested in a lot of other systems for homebrew, but as far as my personal habits and in collecting and playing, I really limit it to mostly NES. Here and there, I'll pick up other things, but luckily Sean is on here, and he seems to be really getting into Genesis, and we have a game on here that. One he covered on his uh, blog, interviewed developers for. So, Sean, you want to you pick it up?
1: Uh, so, yeah, Curse of Elmore Bay. So that was a project from Second Dimension. And so that's a lot of really interesting people that were working on that. And so it's a pretty straightforward platformer with very Halloween themes. And, like, the story behind it is um, there's basically just a... Really disgruntled mall Santa that seems to have summoned up an old demon to bring out a curse that I think had already been sitting over the town of Elmore Bay, just waiting to be unleashed again. So there are these statues of three kids that sit in the park that nobody really remembers what they're there for anymore, long lost to legend. It turns out they're actually the town's guardians, and the great evil coming out wakes them up. And originally it was just two of them, but one of the tears on their Kickstarter was, hey, you can be the third protagonist and they come out and they're going out to fight the these demons and it's a fun sort of one of those games that really takes advantage of the differences in the genesis sound engine to give you that kind of i don't know that 90s sort of rock and roll feel that genesis games had that really distinguished themselves from other consoles um very colorful and so justin you'd love this it has an achievement system a lot of (laughs) a lot of unlockables where there are several parts of the level where you cannot get to certain areas, so you know. So if you're like me in a terrible game, and you're like, "I must be really bad at this game because I can't get there." Oh well, I'll move on, and they eventually realize, "Oh, I just didn't have the ability to get this, and I can backtrack and get that other item later." And so, just a lot of fun demons like fire-spitting pumpkins and little devils that will sort of charge at you, and these. Like any game, just birds that are just like they're just small enough that you they'll get through whatever your attacks are, and your timing's always going to be off. And some fun Halloween-themed bosses, and in addition to the achievements and unlockables that you can have in the game to kind of just complete your overall progress, there are different abilities that you can unlock in terms of making your gameplay a little bit more varied. It's like there's some basic melee attacks, and then you can really enlarge what you're able to do based on your ability to unlock those other abilities like being able to fly and get over longer get to higher heights or get across other pits instead of going just to the next straightforward linear part of the level there's even some voice work i haven't gotten too far but i know somewhere in there they got danny tamborelli to do some voice work (laughs) so you can hear a little bit of a
0: little peep you get a chance to play that one justin
2: no i haven't i follow second dimension on on twitter and i i've dealt with with him a lot in the past and love a lot of the stuff he puts out. but i haven't actually played it yet sort of again yeah
0: i think i think it recently came out too it's yeah hasn't been out Mm long he's been juggling a lot of things so
1: there was that one there's era the crow maiden for the nes one is out they're just about done with the super nintendo and genesis iteration they're working on affinity sorrow for their next sort of for an rpg Although I think they also want to do a sequel to Curse of El Bay. And as I was sort of promoting, because it's going to pop up in the blog at some point, they're doing an NES port of Montezuma's Revenge.
2: Yep, just saw that.
1: A lot in the air. But um, yeah, so just covering a, a whole bunch of different genres as well. So Adam really likes to to spread it around <laughs> genre and console wise.
0: What do you think the drive is for them to kind of look at releasing titles on multiple platforms at the same time you know most people kind of focus in on on one one release that's funny i actually asked him that exact question i'm like i need to go
1: ask i need to figure out what his response to that was because <laughs> <laughs> i thought that because that, that's a really good point that a lot of brewers generally and even publishers tend to stick to one area and i think it's really cool that there are some folks that are in addition to being developers are publishers and they're really spinning because you have infinite nes lives now you've got second dimension you've got broke studio and they're really helping really bring about other people's games in addition to their own but let me see i know i've
0: asked him about i think Mega Cat does that too i think they'll release a game on multiple systems so adam's response so i asked him another fascinating aspect of
1: second dimension is that you're involved with homebrew games across multiple consoles and what led him to to decide to transcend them. And he said that he views gaming in the same way as music, that the genre doesn't matter as long as the song, album, whatever he's listening to is good and can relate to it. Like, he grew up with the Atari, but he also had the NES and the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. He has fond memories of all of them. And... He just wanted to do what he could to help make games across all of those consoles. So rather than just focus on one particular thing, he loved the idea of just bringing forth into existence stuff on everything they had nostalgia for. And I think that's also a recognition that what he's nostalgic for isn't what other fans like him have nostalgia for. So if he can bring them something, even if it's not the strongest Mm -hmm. resonance for him, then he's doing something especially
2: good. I also know he really likes to program for the Genesis versus pretty much anything else. So if he can port something into the Genesis, I think he's usually all about it. And
1: it's a solid homebrew scene. Not as I feel like, cause Atari is just like it's massive. NES is big, but there's not as much of a homebrew scene for some of these other consoles. And I think Genesis is probably the next biggest one where it's, there's a bunch of people. They're very talkative. They're, they're making things happen, but not as big necessarily as, as NES. And then you see other ones where like, super nintendo it exists but it's more there's not a lot around there for it like you see um there was the attempt with like retro game builder and i know i think uh, there's a conversation in the the vgs brewery discord about this where some people see other folks moving forward on something they think oh you know what they're doing this and i'm working on other things i'll let them do their thing so i'm not stepping on toes and then maybe fizzles out and they go okay i'm gonna move forward now but i know um Nova has something that they are looking to maybe build, complete, and share to help promote more Super Nintendo homebrew. And we'll see where that goes. Because kind of like the joke is that there's a bunch of games that have been in development forever that it's a race to see what comes out first. Um, <laughs> space Soviets, full, quiet. Nova Squirrel 2 or Mystic Searches.
0: <laughs> I wonder if um, the reason for a lot of Genesis development lately is internationally that was a very popular system probably people have a lot of nostalgia for it so like that kind of falls behind the nes in that aspect where now internationally there's all these people that played it it's still a popular scene today the system was available in in countries that didn't import like uh brazil like people just built genesis systems there the hardware was easily duplicated i think there's just might not be as much documentation for homebrewers as the nes but i there's probably a lot And that might be an
2: aspect of it. I think overall, it's just that the barrier to entry with with Genesis is much less than it is with Super Nintendo. Not being a programmer, I can only speak so much to it, but I feel like everybody who's tried to program for one, the other, or both just says programming for the Genesis is so much easier. It's so much less complicated, whereas... You know, Super Nintendo, there's people that work on projects forever and they never come out because it's just such a pain in the butt to go from something simpler to something like that and it lets you get that 16-bit generation feel going with the Genesis without having to kill yourself trying to to make something so I think that's probably a big part of it. People's comfort level with the SNES isn't quite as there as it is with the Genesis
1: for someday though but to kind of also reconnect it to to second dimension is that a lot of the team on curse of Vilmore Bay and Ava is actually some of the more prominent Brazilian homebrew folks. Um, Like Adam basically absorbed might be not might not be the right word, but there was a pretty solid homebrew team of folks that were doing their own thing. And Adam basically brought all them on to do some of the work of second dimension. There was a Indiegogo that didn't quite uh, make it a Kung Fu UFO um that was that was Jav and uh, Sebastian, um, who are now doing work on on second dimension games. And so hopefully with some of the work they've done there, they'll they'll finish Kung Fu UFO and maybe even release it through
0: them. It has a particular genesis, has a particular look to like the NES. You can immediately look at the game and know what system it's for. Like <laughs> something about its palette or or something. It's like someone can just show you still image, you'd be like, Oh, yeah, that's a Genesis. <laughs> something like the sound engine like there's something like yeah. you can hear in a genesis
1: game that's just like i don't know to call it like gritty almost like there's just this certain kind of like hard rock feel that you can hear like it's like the comic zone soundtrack i can hear that in other genesis games in a way that i don't hear from super nintendo which maybe that's more just the at the time sega being the bad boy that's being like i am here for all takers and nintendo was more like let's curate this nice fantasy mystic feel because we know everybody likes Mario and Zelda and Final Fantasy. And so we're going to do a lot of harps and breezes through the trees.
0: So, uh, Sean, did you grow up with the Genesis?
1: <laughs> I did. So um, if you follow my, it's one of my favorite threads on VGS and I'm so sad it hasn't, um, it sort of fizzled out is the, your, your life in 10, in like 10 to 15 games. And I talk a lot about how I'd go to like one of the church fairs in, in my hometown and, there's like a bunch of churches like, on my main street, and they all had fairs, but it was only like mine that ever had video games. And somehow my mom was like, let's get you this Nintendo. And my dad was really against it. But um, up to that point, I was playing their Atari 2600, which had some good games, and three of their adult games I was never allowed to touch, and to this day don't have really a good story about why they have them. And I was actually telling my girlfriend about sort of the weird connection I have to the fact that I got um, Vectrex's uh, Beat 'em and Eat 'em because that's one of the three games my parents had for the Atari.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you what you meant by adult games, and I was like, oh, okay. My parents that's- have Bachelor Party, Beat'em
1: and Eat'em, and Custer's Revenge, like, still in box. I'm like, <laughs> I think they, the story I have is they thought it would be valuable, but they never did anything with it, so I think that's not the real story.
2: Mm-hmm. You just need to get, you just need to get Gigolo and can and totally, like, come full circle. It'd be good. <laughs>
1: But so they had like the Atari. I think they had, they had the 7800 with the 2600 adapter, and then the Nintendo was like my first console, and I had that for a while. And I was a good student, so then when a Genesis popped up in the fair a couple of years later, I had earned myself another console. And it wasn't until I was like an adult, and moved to DC, and thought like, okay, like I keep hearing about all these great Super Nintendo games, and I love RPGs, I'm gonna get myself a Super Nintendo. Um, so I grew up with a Genesis and an NES, like that's pretty much what I had. And then by Later in life, I, I, I was given an N64 and a PS, PS1. like Not like a PlayStation, I got a PS1. <laughs> so like the, like I never had like the particularly modern games. I was always behind the curve a little bit, which I guess kind of worked out because I was never keeping too close to whatever and looking for all the more expensive games. There was always whatever I could get cheap secondhand. But yeah, so I feel a bit more affinity for the Genesis just because of that's what I had. It had a very different vibe than what I had with the Nintendo. But kind of having grown up and learned more stories between them, or seeing sort of the arguments that folks have um, online between the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, and it's really interesting to see them kind of go at it in terms of how the, the consoles compare to each other. Like what is this? I think it's like video game theory it has a video where I think it was meant to be a series and it never happened, but it was him arguing with a guy about he's defending the Genesis and his friend is defending the Super Nintendo. It's like a Mortal Kombat battle is like their avatars are duking out over the virtues about of each console. It's just kind of interesting to hear some of the details about why this console I liked. Like, maybe these are the reasons that I don't... I couldn't put my finger on why I liked it, but here's the technical argument for why this was a cool feature of the console. Except for blast processing, processing because that was never, like, a real feature. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I, never, I never had... Uh, I played the 16-bit consoles at Friends House, but I never had a 16-bit. I went... NES was my first console, and then... Played that all the way until uh, whatever ninety five or six, and then I got a PS one. So I'll play some Super Nintendo Genesis games, but I have no nostalgia for them. Really, it's. I'm, it's, so, it's,
2: I'm, so, sorry hear, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, like
0: you really. <laughs> we should we need to go back. At least play Sonic. I, I like. I have a Genesis now, and I have a Super Nintendo, and I'll play them sometimes, but I haven't really. Dove like really beyond the library. Like, so NES, I'll, I'll play. I really searched out for all of these things in the PS1 as well, but like pretty much stay in the probably the games you typically play or you know, for Genesis, you know, Streets of Rage 2, Sonic, Bloodlines. That's really it. And then for Super Nintendo, you know, I played a bit more. You know, I'll play the Star Fox, all the, the Mario World. Um, super castlevania things like that but haven't played really any of the oddball ones just i don't know that's the way it is oh and chrono trigger you know i played that as as an adult
2: well more for you to discover i guess
0: yeah it depends on what you like i feel like i got a super nintendo
1: specifically so i could buy the translations to dragon quest five and six
2: Yeah, I was always a, a Nintendo kid growing up, I think, is, is pretty much what I... I think the first non-Nintendo system I had was a, a Sega Game Gear, because it was in color compared to my Game Boy. So, like, <laughs> my dad my dad brought me home a, a Nintendo when I like in 87, an NES. And then a few years later, we moved, and a buddy of his had a Super Nintendo, was like, I spent all this money on this Super Nintendo... I don't really play it that much, so do you want it? And my dad's like, sure, I will buy this from you and give it to my child to further corrode his educational <laughs> pursuits. So so I uh, I usually had friends that had Genesis, so I played it as a kid, but it was always my friends that had the Genesis and everything else like that. And then uh, I was also one of the kids that got the Nintendo 64 instead of the you know Sega Saturn or PS1 and had friends that had those so i would just play those with them and ps2 was the first time i really branched out other than the game gear and and all that stuff so
0: did you have the tv tuner for your game uh, game gear
2: i didn't but i always thought it was the coolest thing i'm like oh that's so cool even though it's like stupid and <laughs> kind of pointless and was really expensive for what it was i always thought that was like the coolest accessory like you could tune in to tv stations sweet
0: I was always super jealous or uh, really wanted a second Nomad. And that, you know, it was so cool. Um, didn't grow up with a lot of money, so man, it's not even anything I ever asked for. It's just unreachable.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the Nomad, I, I I really actually don't even remember it as a kid, I don't think. I don't I don't remember it ever being there. But yeah, nowadays they're still pretty expensive, so getting your hands on a functioning one, not the easiest.
1: Sometimes it's like different things in nostalgia that make you want to get a console later. Like I think I never really thought that I would want to get myself a Saturn until I had to stop myself and think, what are some of those arcade games I loved playing as a kid? Is there a port of them? And so I go looking at like House of the Dead, Virtua Cop, and like, okay, I, I should probably want to try and get a Saturn so I can play some version of these games. Or I'd be like really sad that there's be a port of some other arcade game that I'd want, but it only came out for some console that... There aren't enough other games that would make me want to do it. Or here's an arcade game that would be like, I would love to have a version of it, but Lucky and Wild makes no sense as a home console. <laughs> Too many peripherals involved. Or, I mean, maybe somebody can invent like an at-home driving console peripheral. <laughs> All
0: right, so I, I guess um, back to Genesis. that's around this line. Um, Sasha Darko's sacred line. And this is a interesting one. I didn't get a chance to play it, but I, I did read up about it, watch a playthrough. Visual novel, interesting. It kind of gives me the vibe of just like if you just watch the cut scenes of like uh, Resident Evil 1 or some mm-hmm. of like um, earlier PC adventure games, some of them had things like this. I recall like uh, Phantom of the Opera for PC or it was a PC or Apple or something. And it kind of gave this vibe. Anyone anyone else uh, you know, think the same or, or get a chance to play it? I think this was a Watermelon game too, right? Yep. So they
1: published it, but they didn't develop it. Um, which I know has led to some other controversies about Watermelon in terms of their reimbursement of the people that they work with. But and what's interesting is it's very good about communicating this sort of dread-inspiring music, but balance that out. There's no animations. It's all still frames with these sort of saturated tones that in some ways you could say weakens it because you can't see as much. There's no movement. But on the other hand, because it's so saturated, you almost can't quite see what it is. So it's that it really helps reinforce that I don't know if I'm alone or if I'm not in this particular room. So many ways to die. (laughs) And I believe that also involves there's a component that you can take or not actually use. Just based on kind of you're going to try and do every possible path but there are options where it's more like okay you're going to do this now roll a die if you got this you are choosing this option like if you if you get like a one through three then you go left if it's four through six you go right and it kind of goes all over the place in genre because it sort of starts off with this resident evil feel but then you're in like the sort of supernatural or like in other dimensions and like this voice is talking to you and different voices will talk to you and some of them they're trying to kill you and some of them are more like I'm going to help you live because there's these bad things that are happening you're the only hope
0: interesting I don't think there was much on the console side that was like this maybe um, some Japanese games that never came over because they had a lot more uh, visual novels but I really can't think of a console correlation you know there could have been and I'm just not aware of it but kind of unique yeah, not a lot. Like the only other things I can think of, and they'd be more animated,
1: would be like space adventure, where there's technically some gameplay elements, but it's really just a novel, where it's more like okay, like there's a story to be told, there are choices to be made, but it's not nearly as interactive as say Snatcher.
0: Do you think that made it more eerie, scary, being this graphic novel with with uh, the music and and you reading along? What do you...
1: I feel like I would have liked if there had been some animations to kind of really increase that. Like what was that? Like not even a hole. I don't need something <laughs> running up to me and stabbing me in the face, but that kind of moment of I'm in the, I'm in the log cabin at the beginning and maybe I'm reading the text and of my, like the, the side of my eye, something runs like across the doorframe in the other room. Like that's enough to make me wet myself. Like that's all I got to do. And And you got me.
0: What if it like did that? Like it, it was still images the whole game. You get close to the end, and all of a sudden, animation.
1: But there's something kind of close to it. Because I believe there's a room where, like, as you as you take an action, there's, like, a robot that starts to walk up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, like like I said, it's, there's no animation. It's more like something happens, and then all of a sudden it's, like, three feet closer, and then three feet closer, and you're like, I still can't tell if this robot is good or evil. <laughs> so I love that kind of mood. It's, I think it just sort of goes to my general want for more, like, good visual novels and point-and-click games. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a list. Should I ever... So It's, like, always, like, on the on the cusp. Like, I want to just, like, I'd love to be able to develop my own games, but I'm just not smart enough to try and get there. And someday maybe I'll, like, I have, like, the books to make it happen. I've got Nerdy Knights, and I've printed them out. Although I tell, um... I don't have... I try to tell Bunny Boy, like, in the Discord, you should make a textbook out of this. I would buy that book, because I'm having trouble going through to sort of these other, um, pages. But, like, it would be so much fun to make like a homebrew in the McVenture kind of molds. And there are a bunch of games that have been coming out that are exactly in that, just not within NES limitations. Like there's one out called infested, which is sort of that in space. And then a friend of mine was doing another one called the from, from beyond prologue, which is like the same. It's like, it's basically the exact same format, I feel like it would take minimal effort to put it within NES limitations. Those would be amazing ports to play and add to the, to the McVenture. And I would love to do, and I'm going to say this about every time, I all my half my ideas for homebrew games are, let's do a James Bond iteration of like this genre. So I'd love to do like a James Bond RPG. I'd love to do a James Bond McVenture where like you're infiltrating this whatever and trying to get through the boss or get through the villain or something. But I mean, like, that's why Kevin and I get along. I'm always asking for more and clicks.
0: James Bond, the point-and-click adventure.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's got to be copyright-friendly, so there's going to be some other... There'll be some names names changed to protect me not getting
0: sued. Greg Bond.
2: <laughs> Maybe he'll be in the extended version of Beyond the Pins. Maybe they'll like somehow make a a washed-up international man of mystery will be in Beyond the Pins.
1: It's actually just the same character from Beyond the Pins. It's, it's, it's going to be like a an equalizer or John Wick situation.
0: <laughs> uh, there's not there's not much more, I guess, to say about this, um, without kind of ruining it, I think, for anyone who's looking to play it. So we have two other games that on our list that we kind of talked maternally, and they're in development. Third Crypto Dracula, but we spoke about. So the other two um Project Borsch and BioEvil. Vastly different <laughs> games. Uh Project Borsch being developed or worked on by frank graphics more in the vein of kind of a castlevania like a castlevania 3 just darker themes we've only got still images to go off of music she's released really interesting and the other one bio evil which is a of resident evil for the genesis um yeah what do you think about these games excited to see them or you have one in particular you're really excited about
2: I mean I'm dying to see Project Morsh because Franken Graphics does insane work with anything graphical. I mean it's in the name, Franken Graphics, yeah. <laughs> but just does amazing work and the backgrounds and settings that she's already put out on Twitter and other places are just crazy. So I'm really dying to see what she does with a full game instead of, you know, just contributing art and and stuff like that. I really want to see a, a full Realized game, so I'm I'm very very excited to see that. I've been following it very closely.
1: Everything Ellen touches is just gold, and like you said, it's <laughs> sort of she's known for being this graphical artist, and here we get to see her really getting to do all the other aspects. And it's like this is what she can do. Like with this thing, I I, I want to see what she can do with all this other stuff she's got her fingers in like so many other games. And you're like, wait, Ellen's working on this? Like, on the Franken-Graphics project? It's like her and, between her and... Um, now you got Rafter not doing the music on everything these days. It's just like there's so many amazing people that are just like... They're the go-to person for this. And to see what they're doing where they're like, okay, I've been helping all these other people. But like now nah, here's my main event. In everything that Frank and Graphics poses like for Project Boris. Just like holy crap, like the laughing skeletons, just some of the backgrounds, or even sometimes where she'll point out, kind of like with with Morphcat, like here's how I did this sort of thing. I'm trying to save on space, so this sun is actually also the little gap you're seeing underneath the bridge. Um, it's like one of those things where like now that you see it, you can't unsee it. Like that's so smart. Like it's it's so clever. You unless you were, was pointed out to pointed out to you wouldn't notice it at all. And kind of like with Haunted Halloween, just, it communicates this mood just through its color palette. Like, I don't have to be told anything about this story. I'm in this place. I'm at this setting. And I can already hear sort of the the creepiness of whatever's going on in the woods around me as I'm walking down the street. BioEvil looks fun, too. It's, I mean, you know, you sort of know what you're going to get. It's Resident Evil, but it's, it's on Genesis basis, and it's isometric. So I feel like that will kind of communicate something interesting that will be... Perhaps a bit less scary. I, I dug out a bunch of Halloween-ish games for myself last year, and Resident Evil was one of them. And kind of like when I played Silent Hill, I'm just easily creeped out enough that I could only play the game for maybe 20 minutes at a time before I got too creeped out at to turn it off. <laughs> and I feel like maybe it'll be a little bit less that for the Genesis version where I can now focus on the gameplay because I'm not as scared. <laughs> but it looks good, and it looks really faithful, and I think there's a lot of effort to try and be as accurate as possible to sort of the way that the, look, the, way the game looks and feels, as well as being faithful to the design of the house and, and bring all those details within those finer limitations. But it also kind of reminds me of another game that, that Franken Graphics is working on that would also probably fit within the Halloween, Halloween-y kind of vibe or horror vibe. And I know we talked about this sort of, and I'm going to get a, a semi-angry email from Tim. Because Orb Games had also had this game, Gift of Discernment. It's this isometric game that takes place like in a psych ward of a hospital. Also gorgeous. Also hope that someday he decides to revisit it. And it just has like, again, you can see the vibes and the color palette and the feel of it. And yeah, just another one that be, would be exciting to play.
2: Have either of you seen any of the footage on the... Uh genesis port of symphony of the night speaking of halloweenish kind of ports of games yes yeah Yeah, it's been great following that it's going to be more of a linear traditional castlevania type experience than like the metroidvania type thing but that's even extremely impressive and i can't wait to see more about that
1: that'll be a good one to see as it comes forward have you seen some of the ones that um i think it's studio Vitea? they've been doing their genesis remake for metal slug
2: I feel like I might have seen a little bit about that, but I haven't. I, haven't I think he's only yet. just started
1: to do some of them, but um, it's amazing like the stuff that they can do. And I think it's, a lot of it is with that um, SGDK engine or development kit.
0: I think I'm thinking of a different thing with Metal Slug. Something I posted, I don't know if it's official or someone doing a homebrew. It was like Metal Slug with a strategy RPG feel, like Fun oh. Tactics meets Metal Slug. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Or like X XCOM play with Metal Slug. You know.
2: Are you, are you talking about Pathway?
0: I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I'll maybe I'll send it to you.
2: Was it for a retro system, or was it just like the style of game? Because it might be. It might be talking about Pathway. It could be. I think it's what it's called. Yeah, Pathway. It's like a turn-based strategy game. It has like you know different weapons you can equip your people with. You like drive through the desert and stuff. Yeah, probably. It. <laughs> it's, it's actually a super fun game. If you ever have a chance to play it,
0: the, the sympathy night one's really interesting to me. I want to see how that turns out. It's like a favorite game of mine. i you know, anything I can get from sympathy of the night, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I actually just
1: got my regular copy for PlayStation. Cause it was at space. pup is trying to raise some money for mm-hmm. his preferred charity through one of his friends. And he, He's making some good deals with some games that his friend's trying to unload, so I got a copy of Symphony of the Night. That one might have still been sealed, actually, so part of me felt bad opening it up. (laughs) That one in Ogre Tactics.
2: Was it, uh, you said, wait, so it was sealed? Was it, like, Greatest Hits or, like, regular Black Label?
1: Um, oh, good question. Um, I think if I put it away...
2: Was there was there green or black on the spot? I think it was.
1: I think it was green. I know some folks are, are more about the black labels.
2: Then I, I don't have to murder
1: you. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I know, like as much as other people do have preferences, I know like it's easier to get your hands on the greatest hits ones.
2: I think it's just that they go out of their way to make Greatest Hits games look worse. They're like, ah, how can we make this cool game look stupid? I know, let's add a bunch of weird colors and make it look different than all the other games. It's like, they do it every single generation. It's like, stop. Just
1: <laughs> I feel like you should troll f- folks and make alternate re- alternate versions of some releases just to like do that and be like, hey, do you want this copy of whatever? I'm going to make the box look like this just to like really mess with you.
2: Exactly. I'm going to make it really stupid looking so everybody knows you have the stupid version. <laughs>
1: that's what you should say on the spine like it's like here's like blah 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 stupid version
2: exactly the green
0: the green doesn't bother me so much it's the um black and they got, get rid of all the color on the disc and it's just uh uh black only on the disc like no color art <laughs> that bothers me the most
2: <laughs> actually one of my cousins had and loved symphony of the night when he was younger and he just like. We found his copy somewhere randomly. Like the, the case was kind of busted, but the disc is like pristine and the manual's fine. So you could easily just swap it. But he's like, if you can get me a digital copy of this, I will give you this game. I'm like, done. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> but yeah, out of the two, Project Porsche, I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to check out um, BioEvil just because it looks great, but it kind of came down to don't have nostalgia for Genesis. <laughs> so I'm yeah. more excited for, for Project Porsche.
2: I'm just afraid to get into it. That's all, because that's just a whole another area to go back and collect for. Yeah, and it's bad enough now with Game Boy with uh, all these Game Boy Studio games. So Game Boy is killing me now. So
0: you seem like it's Mr. Game Boy. You're all of my news source for for Game Boy homebrews. <laughs> yeah, there's a I lot. Had of them. Apple kid just
1: opened for pre order like yesterday.
0: Yeah,
2: I think so. my New
1: Year's resolution is like maybe it should just be NES and Genesis because Game Boy is exploding and I just can't keep buying them.
2: It is, and it's not that the games aren't good, it's just they're so, I guess they're just so easy to make that it's sort of what everybody was afraid would happen with um, Nest Maker. Which, I mean, to some degree, there's been some projects out there that have been kind of like, eh. But I don't feel like it's diluted the scene at all. I think there's still plenty of great games coming out. I think people can generally tell the difference. But yeah, Yeah. the the Game Boy Studio ones, it's like, I think all of them just use that. (laughs) It's like there's there's no delineation there. I think it's just... (laughs) I don't know. Hard to keep track of.
0: Yeah, that's my hesitation. Uh, just uh, another market to, to uh, buy and play for. I don't know if I can handle it. So, for Game Boy, I only have uh, Super Jet Jetpack DX, mm-hmm. and I backed or pre ordered um, from First Press. And I don't remember the name of the game now. There's a bunch of them like Power and. Oh, um, yeah, that one. Is it that one? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a. Dark hole. Don't go down.
0: Don't go down the hole. <laughs> I considered. Yeah. I considered more, but I was like, I have a limited amount of time and <laughs> backlog and <laughs> limited resources too.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it, and and space again. Space. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. and they're and I mean they're pretty expensive too. You would think, you know, Game yeah. Boy cheaper carts. They're not cheap. That's for sure. They're uh, they're getting a pretty decent premium for a lot of the games.
0: Yeah, if I did go down the route, I think I would do cart only on those. Even though generally want to get the CIBs for everything, uh, I don't know. You know, save funds or
1: whatever. <laughs> like you might say that now, then change your mind in a couple of years. Like when I first started collecting homebrew, I was like, "Well, I want to be able to spread myself around. I should be okay with cart only." And the next thing, I, know, I was like, "Those are some pretty boxes, Uncle Tusk, the NES City. Can you help me out?" <laughs>
2: yep it's always easy to go back and regret that's for sure i think i've patched up most of my regrets from the nes collecting but there's still a few out there that i'm like ah i wish i would have just stretched a little more for this Mm -hmm. or that Yeah,
1: it's hard depending on what like when you get into the scene so like because you said you got in in 2013 so that's like a pretty good peak of stuff happening like i didn't get into like 27 2018 so i'm still trying to get my bearings and i'm just Making all of the noob mistakes, like actually, I think emailed Morphcat at one point was like, "Hey, do you have any spare copies of Super Bad Puncher? Like, I'd really love to play it." And he was so patient about being like, "Um, no, I mean, there's some pirated ones out there. I don't. I would prefer you don't go looking for them." But uh, I'm sorry, I can't really help.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I think you actually came in at a pretty good time though, because if you'd come in a couple years earlier, you were right in the middle of the whole like Mofasa people throwing just thousands of dollars at games so you've kind of hit the 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 da- a little bit of a downtrend i think so but
1: yeah i think and um i remember like the last time we talked in at magfest actually i think we were talking about some of the the really really rare gems where it's more of a it's not that they're unfindable it's more just they've gone to a place where they're now kind of in stable collections and i got I to follow up with you at some point just for like Records say because you know where all the KYFF games are. I think you know where most of the garage cards are. And I got I got curious at one point going through the archives of like Nintendo Age to be like, where are the various copies?
2: Yeah, yeah. The KYFFs. It's like I think I think I have one. I think Bo has one. Ferris, I'm pretty sure has one. There was I think there was four. When in
1: doubt, Ferris has one.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: I think that's a interesting thing that you're just saying this they they're not unfindable but they're in stable collections cuz I've been wondering with the um price of of some of them why they're not being shook sh- uh, shook loose like for sale. Uh, what's the name of it? Uh Star Like insane price that it's going for 600 800 a copy now like and there wasn't it wasn't super limited there's over 130- 100 130 <clears throat> copies like I would I would think I'd be seeing more of them for sale at that price.
2: I kind of feel like that was more of a game though where it kind of just got released out into the wild and kind of just ended up in collections and then kind of faded away. It's not like I don't know. I mean some of the obviously some of the hardcore collectors kind of got a hold of them, but I don't know, that was just that was such a that was such a weird release to go through cuz it's like some random guy from China's like I made a Nintendo game and I'm going to sell it on the NES, on cartridges, because... And we're like, you should do that on Nintendo Age. You should do that here. <laughs> like, we'll help you. But he just like sort of showed up, released a pretty good game, and then just disappeared.
1: <laughs> do you think there's some piece of it where a bunch of folks that have some of these copies of, like, say, Starkeeper, others, and then like just at some point they kind of just detached from Nintendo Age, from VGS, and... If they were in tune with kind of the talk that's going on and where prices are, they would absolutely jump on the opportunity. But the fact that they're not plugged in, they just don't know that that this is something that would be enough to shake it loose for them.
2: Probably, and I think it's a similar thing with uh, a lot of the really rare Chiptune carts. I think a lot of people bought them because they were kind of neat back in the day. When they bought them, they were like twenty, thirty, forty bucks, and they're like, oh, "That's kind of neat," and they just like tuck it off in a corner somewhere, and then they don't realize that there is rare or as sought after as they are so like i think we saw a cop there's a guy on was it twitter or was it i don't know i forget where it was but they saw a copy of ducktales the the cart the the music cart not the actual game ducktales but the one with the creepy like sepia tone portrait (laughs) yeah so they're like I saw this cartridge at this store and it was for sale for 40 bucks and like what is it and I'm like I know exactly what that is <laughs> and if it was 40 bucks and I didn't already have one I would definitely buy it. Like so like it was just at a random game store for sale for 40 bucks and a guy was like I bought it and there you go. So But yeah, I think a lot of people just sort of get in the hobby and just sort of drift away from it as life priorities change and some of them don't even realize they have this stuff anymore or if it's even worth anything. So
1: I think that's how I've learned to post my want to buy list beyond just the forums. Like, I have a version of it up on Twitter and actually have, a random, have we'll have random people reach out to me, like, oh, I've got this Genesis tip chiptune card. Like, interested? Like, I wouldn't have thought Twitter would have been the place to connect for that, but there you
2: go. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of chiptune cards, if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, there's, a, <laughs> <laughs> there's these. So for a while, I was buying like copies, like floppy disk copies of like, Vaporware chiptune albums that this one person on Bandcamp slash Twitter sells. There's actually a few of them, but now they've started to do Game Boy. Yep, there (laughs) There they are. There they are, yep, 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 uh-huh, yep, there they are. So I have a bunch of those, but now they're starting to release the albums on Game Boy Advance, like Game Boy oh, Advance. Like the Oasis ones? Yeah, so now that's another thing to like flush your money down the toilet for, so I, I managed to grab a bunch of those. So It's
1: bad. And the, uh, was it March Hare over on Discogs? Like He and I will tip each other off when we see something the other one might not have heard about yet. And so he'll be like, "Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this?" Because he, and he gets in trouble at Discogs because there are people that have like they vehemently believe that game cartridges with ChipTune don't count as albums. So his his thread and his list is just a sort of big middle finger to the community of I think it counts, and this is my list of what's out there.
2: It's music. It's on a medium. You can listen to it. Like one of the. one of the vaporware things that I have is like on an old recycled hard drive. Like you literally have to take the hard drive, <laughs> plug it into a computer to be able to hear the music. Like it's the stupidest. Like <laughs> they're like recycled. I just
1: want to recognize that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. The chip tune thing is fun though. It just gets to pull old. it all together.
1: Like you, I think you had mentioned this when we were building notes. There's um, Mega Cat has their kind of Halloweeny version of like Mike Tyson's Punch Out, and they made a chip tune album of the soundtrack to go with it. You could have the, what is it, like a little animation of the weather guy from the local channel with the pumpkin mask that makes his head seem way too small as he's dancing around.
2: <laughs> yeah, those are a couple we didn't actually talk about the Creeping It Real and the yeah. uh, Nightmare or uh,
1: Creepy Brawlers?
2: Actually, that's another one. The, another one you could have included was uh, Nighttime Bastards. Was that the name of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was another one that I
0: remember, but uh, you could still buy it on uh, Infinite NES Lives.
2: Yep. But yeah, Creeping It Real and uh, Creepy Brawlers. That's the other one. Yep. Mega Cat. The Mike Tyson's parody. And soon they're going to have The Meeting. Meeting, so that'll be another Halloween-ish kind of one. That one's actually really fun, and the the whole concept of it is just so bizarre. It's like you're in a meat factory play like this ghost of a cow, and you're like... (laughs) It's so bizarre. And the thing that sucks about a lot of Mega Cat stuff is they have these games that are basically made just sitting there, like tons and tons and tons of games. And they just never release them for one reason or another, or they never completely finish them, but they're like almost completely done games that you just never can buy. And it kills me. I'm always like, come on, man, just sell me a copy of something. Give me <laughs> give me something. Come on, James. Like
1: you talk to them, like they'll tell you about some other games that they have. And you're like, that's awesome. But when's it coming out? Like, I think I told them about my idea for a James Bond thing when I was talking to James at one point, and then he shared his like, uh, had a sort of themed game called You Only Live Thrice that was like somewhere in the making. Or if you have, uh, was it Jeff Wittenhagen's this is The home sequel
0: to book? the James Bond movie?
1: <laughs> maybe. Um, and so if you have like Jeff Wittenhagen's Homebrew book, there's a ton of Mega Cat games that are in production, like In Cod We Trust and Swarming Beats and all of the zombie stuff maybe turned into other things. Or Epicade. Actually, I think... Every time I go to the conventions, like, James and his team will be there. I think I remember I one time asked him several times about Epicade, and he always changed the subject. But I mean, like, he's, like, he's still super nice to talk to, love playing the games. He even gave me a copy
2: of Sit and Kitten,
1: which is never available
2: yeah, I managed to, managed to get one out of them too. I'm like, come on, man. I know it's on your <laughs> site. You've never sold it. Give me a copy. He's like, okay, that one I can give you. I'm like,
1: yeah, that's right. <laughs> but like, what they do release is still good stuff. Like, so like the, you can always play the meeting and then Lethal Wep- uh, Lethal, Wep- Lethal Wedding is one of their Genesis games. It's basically like the the meeting where like it's pretty much done, dying for it to get released. And it's a lot of fun as you're just this bride or the mother of the groom shooting up all these evil clowns and. in mall. Based. It's like zombie eats my, na- uh, was it zombies ate my neighbors, but with mm-hmm. a wedding theme.
2: Yeah. It's like, they have so many, so much stuff going on at any given time, but I mean, it, it just tells you that they try to release quality products. Cause literally I think the meeting has been basically done for years. Sitting kit has been done like, so, I mean, everything in its own time, I guess, but yeah, they have a lot of stuff. And I mean, some of it's like copyright issues too. I know. So but yeah, they have a lot of stuff that they have on their back burner that I really wish would come out one day.
1: Appeals Court, I love the pictures they have of, like, was it like Banana Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, guess, well, I think one that was on the list that we didn't get around to was the uh, L'Abbé Morts.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that in there, and after playing through it, playing through some of it and then watching a playthrough, it never really fit really Halloween-themed.
1: It's got those horror elements, you know, we're all scared of the Catholic Church.
0: Yeah, the Catholic Church, and then you fight Satan, but well, that was about <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> but if you feel otherwise, we can talk about it.
1: Another game that I, I try to get into, and it's a lot of fun, I just can't get very far because I'm crappy at games, but I have the NES version, I have um, the Genesis one that Mega Cat now also has, but I think originally I got it from what's that like Spanish company like retro something they do like a bunch of Genesis releases and so one interesting feature of the Genesis one is you can change the version you're playing you can play like their Genesis port of the game or you can change it to play like the, the amistad or the MX spectrum version and'll completely change the outlook of the game like you're playing on one of those older consoles and I suck at every single one of them
2: it doesn't help yeah <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of other countries' games, there was actually the Mojan twins, they released this uh sort of released this cartridge that was a basically Five a riff. One. Yeah, the, the riff on you know multi-cartridges where they basically released a bunch of different games, but a lot of them are just like glitched f up effed up versions of other games. And <laughs> so it's actually fun to like go through because there's like a hundred and some of them on there and you can go through and play, mess with them all. Some of them are just like so glitched you can't play them. But there's this one game on there where you play like this mariachi skeleton or the female version of it, and it's like all black, everything's wow. black except for the background, which is like dark blue. And that one's actually pretty cool. That's I really wish they'd make a full version of that. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. I know what
1: you're talking about too? It's on one of the uh, Action 50, uh, 53 games as well, I think. Was it? I think so, which you think would make it easier for me to remember what the name of it was, but
2: no. Yeah, but I remember it being on there and I remember stumbling stumbling across it and I'm like, this game's actually really cool. Like a, the whole you know, aesthetic of it, but it was never it didn't ever seem like it was a full game. I know there's a video of it on YouTube where somebody does like a playthrough of it, but I can't remember I the name of off the top of my head.
1: I usually go to the Action Fifty Three wiki when I'm in doubt because I know it's on there somewhere.
0: The Mohan Twins—they—they they did, I guess, two releases of multi carts. One came physical, um, and you can get it through any N- N- Infinite NES lives. But then they did one that was just a, a ROM pack, and there are different different games. I think, Justin, I think the one you're talking about is the ROM pack one that's just digital. I think that was fifty-two and one no, or something.
2: This this one I actually got from them was on okay. cartridge, so there may have been a ROM pack, but I somehow managed to get a cartridge of it out of them.
1: Zombie Cal- Calavera Prologue. Yeah,
2: that one. That's the one. I wish they would make that into a full game.
1: Yeah, they do some really great stuff. My only problem is like usually when they partner with somebody, it'll be was it like 1985 Alternativa, which is just horrible about processing there and, and doing their shipping.
2: Yeah, and they'll send you stuff and it will get completely destroyed, and then it will take them years to get you like replacement boxes. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Super Thirty-One in One is the. Okay. That's the one, yeah.
1: And then was it the Mojonian Tales card has that um I forget their name for it, but like there's a number system, like you can put stuff into it and it'll either do weird things to certain games mm-hmm. or nothing happen or nothing would happen. And then once in a while, like on Twitter, they would just say, like, all right, we're gonna release you a special code and be like, You do this and this weird thing happens.
2: Yeah, they definitely do some crazy stuff. And then of course we have all the crazy uh Vietnamese releases that um what's his name Come oh uh, dave yeah thanks i
1: keep an eye on their website too because i know they have a couple coming out there's like leopard cats and a chinese uh lunar new year one um oh, i've gotten all their other releases yep um, even there was it uh oh crap i'm gonna get the name off it's like hungry ghost night that's sort of like a, a spooky game i have no idea really what it's about and like what happens because i kind of wander around die again on par like I, i'm terrible at these games so i'm i i can not really talk too much about what they're about
2: yeah a lot of their uh the premises of them are kind of weird anyway like the whole trippy club whatever peace <laughs> love trippy club like that one like like what the hell is even going on you people are crazy
1: I think the most straightforward was just the dragon boat race. It was like,
0: okay, you're just in the boat and you're racing. Like, I
1: can, yeah. I, can, I can understand
0: that one. Easy to explain. Got it. One of the combo games that was trippy like that, what was the name? Where... So many of them. Star <laughs> Evil. Star Evil, yeah. But that was, uh, I found that much more uh, playable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, is there anything, like, uh, we kind of talked about a little bit, but is there anything else in, in this Halloween genre or, or Halloween playlist that you would like to see in the future? Like, there's a lot of platformers, very little puzzlers, a couple brawlers, but is there, is there something, is it the point and click, is that what you want to see, Sean, or is there, is there some, something else you want to see in this horror or Halloween uh, genre?
1: Yeah, to fight the urge not to say, like, I just want more RPGs, I wanna have them. Like, I know it doesn't really fit Halloween theme as much. Although, like, because that's not really done, like, let's let's see that. But as far as like, I want to have more of those games where I feel like was like Joey and a friend's like, I'm scared, I'm gonna put my cartridge in the freezer so like it doesn't hurt me. Like I I love having those games where I'm just too creeped out. So even on NES, like you do enough with Ambiance and have a scary enough point and click, whether it's a McVenture kind of game or or something else like Project Borst or um, Gift of Discernment, like just give me something that's gonna creep me out. That can play in the dark and just be.
2: I mean, for me, that comes
1: from playing the Macintosh version of "Where in the World" or in, "In the U.S. is Carmen Diego in my dad's office, like with the lights off, because so it would have that really creepy organ. Like, just creep me out. Like, whatever. I'm, like, I feel like Point and Click might blend itself well to that, but you can do it in any genre. Like, please.
0: What if what if someone made on their cart release didn't say a word? but they built in like a little speaker with a battery and then it would just randomly laugh like while on your shelf. <laughs> <laughs> um, that it would, that it, would sure it would smash that cartridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the the, like the new releases load of load scan load. carts. <laughs> it's
1: like those terrible like motion sensor toys that mm. like so technically only movement should activate it, but they would sometimes spontaneously come on. So my mom would get one of those like motion-activated like Yoda toys that would like talk to you as like you whatever, but like it could be in a room by itself and it would go off. I'm like, nope, this is haunted. Kill it, kill it, get rid of it. <laughs> so like that's a great idea, and I'd buy it, and then I immediately get rid of it. Um, so no.
2: <laughs> I want to see a dungeon crawler. I think like a nice, nice Halloween dungeon crawler would be pretty cool, but like a more modern themed one. Like I don't know, like maybe like a haunted Halloween sort of time and space themed dungeon crawler for for Halloween theme would be pretty cool.
1: Like first person, like labyrinth?
2: hmm
1: Maybe get the graph paper. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty good.
0: I still have to play through Astasro. Um, like I have mm-hmm. never finished it. Yep. I was never much of a, a map maker. <laughs> I will always cheat and look up a walkthrough. Like I'm
1: still stuck on Fantasy Star One because I will never get th- I will never get through it on my own because they're all like the secret walls. How am I supposed to find the secret walls? i supposed to bump into everything. This yes. isn't like Chex Quest or Dark Forces where it makes a noise every time I bump against the wall. <laughs> that was the virtue of Dragon Warrior before I learned that. Rate right, what the spell Radiant was. I was always just bumping into walls.
2: Then you guys would really like that uh Vect Vectrex uh parody thing that he made the one the hospital one. Oh Did yeah. You? the Raycaster hospital. Oh yeah. Actually bothered, actually bothered to play all the way through it and collect all the medals and everything, which you could actually spam one of the medals, So you could actually get more than the total amount. Whoopsie.
1: Make such gorgeous stuff. We need the cartridge release for, was it brony blaster?
2: Yeah. I don't know if that one's ever going to come out. I feel like I'm still busy
1: st- harassing him over dealer uh, deal or no deal.
2: <laughs> no kidding.
0: <laughs> I think you'd end up with uh uh, copyright issues for a Blaster, or uh, in several get, levels. <laughs> yeah, or you're just gonna get in a a lot of uh, angry people, a lot of hate mail.
1: That's why you just you, t- you swap out the copywritten Nintendo characters and you do what like Nathan did. So you do homebrew characters.
2: There you go.
1: Just so have to contend with Howie Mandel, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> just get his permission. Like, yo, Howie, can I use your likeness? <laughs>
1: I don't know how that would play out. I'm really curious now.
2: <laughs> it's like when I took a copy of uh, Kehan's E.T., I took a copy of that with me to a meet-and-greet signing with the guy who actually made the Atari E.T., like the, the programmer. <sighs> mm-hmm. So I actually took a copy of that to there, told him that my friend had made a NES port of his game and had him sign it, and I sent it to, to Kevin. So he has a signed copy of that NES game port of, of possibly the worst game ever made. So
1: It's even better than that Simpsons thing of like, this is an autographed copy of Sean Connery signed by Roger Moore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he got a little bit of validation. The creator of the game said it was okay, kind of. <laughs> so, so everything's fine. Yeah. But of course, he also did the, the the release the same way I did the release for RC2 Rally, the whole... But he had like a little certificate in the box for uh, Larry and you'd fill out the certificate yeah. and with a check and he'd send you the game. It was pretty cool.
0: <laughs> you think um the Halloween conversation kind of ran its course or do you have some more? No, but I think we about
2: covered it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a pretty interesting discussion about, was it Halloween and holiday games in general on the, the Discord. I mean, I think it wasn't just limited to Halloween, but like holidays in general. It was yeah. an interesting topic, but the more important thing is a couple points like Die Hard is a Christmas movie. No Bruce Willis's input on the question doesn't make a difference about any of that.
0: <laughs> did, he, did he say it's not a Christmas movie?
1: He said it's not. It's like, okay, come on. Like, This isn't like your franchise because one, you weren't anybody when you did the first Die Hard, and also you chose to make Die Hard 5, so your opinion means nothing.
0: Like, It takes place... On Christmas, it's about a family reuniting. It snows. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else. What else do you need? <laughs>
1: yeah, has, what else do you has, need? Like, It doesn't have to be like a Christmas to be a Christmas
2: movie. Well and he <laughs> has like wrapping paper tape on his back when he straps the gun to. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, come on. Presence, <laughs> presents, <laughs> presents given.
1: Same thing with the second one. Also a Christmas movie. And I'm one of those people that thinks that the second one is better than the third one.
2: Oh,
0: um, so the second one's at is at the airport again, right? But someone's at Dulles, where
1: the third one is just all over New mm, York.
0: Yeah, um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I
1: mean, all three are solid, but maybe I feel like the second one feels more like the first in in good ways.
0: The She'll last, just... the last company I worked for, um, one of my bosses' names was Hans. Um, <laughs> and we we just call him Hans Gruber.
2: <laughs> I'm sure he'd love that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like they really missed out that they could have just went with like die, die harder, die hardest, die more harder or they could have like just kept going.
1: <laughs> Supposedly those were proposed names. Like it was gonna be like die hardest, die harder. Yeah,
2: that's that's what they should have done.
1: <laughs> well, like I feel like part of that discussion was also I think part of it was Halloween can be a lazy shortcut to access horror. Um, like it doesn't need to be a Halloween game to be scary. So why are you limiting yourself to Halloween? But I feel like, like I was saying earlier, depending on your perspective, either it's a lazy shortcut or it's more like, here's just an easy thing I can say to set the tone and now have access to this entire bunch of things. Because Halloween, I think, feels like more, you can you can touch all of the monsters as opposed to horror. And you're still kind of like all the way out there, but it's not like you can really go into like, I can do Dracula and Frankenstein and ghosts and skeletons. Mm-hmm. Because at that, that point, if you just say horror, you're like, pick a lane. Whereas Halloween's more like, I can be campy, I can do it all, and you're not going to criticize me because it's all present at Halloween. I think they were also talking about Christmas as well. So there's a sense of, are there any other holidays where this would make sense? Um, any traditions? I feel like I was asking Bunny Boy as well about um, what other holidays need representation, since he's kind of owns Christmas, Retrotainment, and Kevbot owned Halloween. Like, where else should something be happening? And then you had the, the greeting cards covering a couple of other stuff, but like... Do we need a Thanksgiving game? Is someone going to make a an NES port game with a fake Grindhouse trailer or slasher Thanksgiving?
2: What we should do is make a version of Tapper, but instead of beer, you just slide food down the table to feed. Mm. Them. <laughs> and just having somebody gorging themselves,
1: and it's like yeah. that. Um, have you seen that Sonic hack where it's like they're not gold rings, they're onion rings? So Sonic gets fatter as he eats more of them, but you have there's a certain limit. Otherwise, he gets too heavy and has a has a massive coronary.
0: That's awesome. No, I, haven't. I haven't, but I played the. Um, what's the running one? You like you're running, and Amazon. you have to.
2: Was that Amazon diet something? Whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's
0: like you have to target like the healthy food and not eat like the ice cream, ice cream and cakes, and otherwise you just get larger. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you do
1: lose the game, the earth breaks in half.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what other holiday would need re- representation. You know.
1: I guess it depends on the idea you bring to it. Like Fourth of July could easily be hokey, but if you do something kind of fun, other about like making fun of Fourth of July parties or a parade as opposed to mm-hmm. trying to make like an in earnest war of eighteen twelve game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess representation's not the right word. Whatever whatever holiday lends itself to to a game concept like that. I don't know.
1: They may not be American holidays. Like there might be yep. stuff that we can't think of that, like mm-hmm. Franking Graphics has like a really like she could give us like a really good midsummer
2: game. <laughs> I mean, just look at the the Scandinavian games that they had for a while. Those I don't even like the know the Olympics ones. Like, well, yeah, this there's Farage of one. Like the the from like was it Iceland? I don't know, but the, I think it's Iceland. They had like three or four games that they released that were just like random weird holidays for that country and the games were based off of that i forget what the name of them that, those were also a pain in the ass to track down
1: it was i think i lucked out in getting copies because i found like the scandinavian version of like nintendo age <laughs> yeah and then there's the other one there was like some guy that did his own like those the poron cosima which is just like the deer peeing game
2: mm-hmm. yep
1: it's a shame that they haven't made more from the um the Finnish company that would do like the Olympics ones because they were getting more ornate like first it was just like drink beer stay in sauna and then there were actual like events and then there was like the was it, the 100 year anniversary like fighting
0: game oh speaking of the knowledge you could do an Oktoberfest that was tied to Tapper but that's like you basically just be make a tapper at that point unless it involved like uh
1: throwing beer mugs at people
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like other little mini games in there you know like uh um like what? Like the sum, uh, summer Olympics NES game, but instead you're doing it on Oktoberfest. So then you have to do some sort of dancing and
2: a caveman game sport. <laughs> pack
1: Wasn't there like a game in development that was like a Russian sport, where, like you throw like long blocks of wood. Now they're like you're trying to knock off formations or have them land a certain way. I may be making that up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're just making it up
1: maybe but now that it's out there somebody should make that
0: game uh, thank you too. this has been a, a great talk for Halloween games to play during the season everyone can find us on Video Game Sage on the Homebrew team but you can also find us on Twitter and various other places I'll leave contacts in, in the description but if uh, you two want to say something on, on your way out feel free to
2: Happy Halloween, and buy it. Buy it.
0: (laughs) Yep,
1: check out our threads and our posts and see what's on VHS. Find out other homebrew games, either Halloween-themed or otherwise. Um, And everything that we've told you to buy, like, buy them. We'll have some links in our threads to show you where you can get it.
0: Yeah, uh, digital, if you don't want to, you know, give up the space. A lot of these are available (laughs) digitally. (laughs) If anyone has any suggestions for future-themed episode. Drop me a line and uh, we'll see if we can put it together. All right. Thanks, everyone. Tune in for the next Homebrews and Focus.